the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. D.C., good to have you along for the ride this afternoon, uh, today and tomorrow. Hold their feet to the fire. Twelfth year I've been here. I came the first year that this started and uh, have continued every year since. I think it's in- incredibly important that we talk about uh, all the facets of uh, illegal immigration that we can uh, and keep you up to date on what's being done and usually what's not being done. And and uh, it's, it's pretty much has been from the very beginning uh, as clear as the nose on your face about what needs to be done but doesn't get done because there's a lot of money involved and there is uh, a lot of reasoning behind why each of the political parties want illegal immigration uh, going on. I mean, we we all know in in Arkansas we got Tyson, we got Pilgrim, we got a lot of people like that. We also know that uh, there's a lot of money that uh, changes hands to make sure that uh, you know, um, I guess hireable hireable uh, people are in our country, and then uh, the Democrats they want the votes. And why is that? Because people come from Central America. Their governments aren't like our government. They're suppressive governments, and those people don't trust their governments. So they get over here, and they feel the same way about our police and about our law enforcement and about our government, and uh, they're told that the Democrats will protect them, which uh, you know and I know is BS, but that's what they believe, and that's why they vote Democrat. Well, Chris Harris is going to join us, Secretary and Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Border Patrol Council. He'll start us off today and uh, an important story that he has for us. And we want to talk about sanctuary cities with him. And I want to talk about, as he mentioned to me before we got started, sanctuary states. Because, you know, Governor Moonbeam out there in California uh, wanted to have a, a sanctuary state in California. He's got it now. He's got it in spades. I don't understand why they want it. I remember when I started this, uh, 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 Chris, and I was talking about the problems they were having in Southern California at that time and that they didn't have any trauma centers that were open because they were just inundated by <coughs> uh, illegals. So bring us up to date. What's it like in the, in the socialist state of California now? Well, just uh, to make it clear, I, I represent Local 1613 National Control okay. Council. So that's the San Diego area and, and other counties in, in Southern California. Um, you, you touched on so many things. I was looking at you and I was touching my nose because you're hitting the nail on the head uh, on so many things you talked about, both parties and, and, and so on. And, you know, I, I tell people that we've had 18 months of the Republicans controlling everything and we don't have a national mandatory verify. Nothing has changed. Uh, I, I do speaking engaged to people on both sides of the aisle, but I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me, um, Dave, and said, uh, hey, Chris, I'm really embarrassed. I'm a Republican. And I'm a small business owner, but I have to hire illegals because my competition does. And if I don't, I'll get undercut. Mm-hmm. But if you give me a national mandatory E-Verify, I won't have to. So, but uh, in the, And that's important to recognize, and you did, and I appreciate that. Um, but in, in California, we have that issue that we're not – there's not just sanctuary cities. There's a sanctuary state now, um, not just a de facto de jure by law. 
And so that's a problem for us where we can't assist the local law enforcement like we'd want to because we, we do call-outs for the sheriff's department where there's no sheriffs when they're, they're shorthanded. Uh, and they back us up or they assist us. Um, but there's there, we can't have that certain coordinated activity like we used to. And I give you that example where the lawsuit now the federal government suing the state of California is that uh, we had stopped the drunk driver. U.S. Border Patrol stopped the drunk driver. Uh, and out in California driving under the influence DUI. We called the local PD, the constabulary in the area, and they could not respond. They said we can't come out because of the state law. So we had to let a drunk driver go. We don't enforce state laws. Uh, that's a problem for us. That's a problem for your community. That's a problem for the safety of everybody. Even if you're here illegally and you're not breaking other law, that's a danger to you. A drunk driver doesn't care who they hit on the road. They're not going to go, oh, well, that's my campesino from Mexico. I'm not going to hit him. It doesn't matter. So the, the sanctuary state thing is, is killing us. But, but what drives me crazy, Dave, is the hypocrisy. You know, a few years ago, Arizona passed laws that were complementary to federal immigration. Yes. Actually took some of the, word, the verbiage verbatim. Mm-hmm. And so the, the left went crazy about that, including California. Uh, you know, friends of the court briefs, uh, that, that's, that's wrong. You can't get involved in it. But yet they go and pass laws that are antithetical, that are in opposition, and that's okay. I, I just I can't wrap my head around that type of hypocrisy. And it's a threat to the people in the community. Yeah, for my listeners, let's go back to that drunk driver. If you guys pulled him over, you know that he's inebriated. They can't come out and take him. That means you hand him his keys back, correct? Yeah, we had to let him go. We had zero legal authority to hold him. So, so he, he he hadn't sobered up. No, he drove down the road. Um, you know, I, I, I think I told you that story about where we, we stopped. Uh, we arrested a guy who was illegal from Mexico. Uh, and he had re-entry after deportation. So, he, he you know, was just, just not crossing for the first time. He had, uh, he had committed a, a very brutal, uh, violent felony domestic in, in Iowa. And there was a warrant out for him. And so we called up Iowa, and they said, yes, we want him. We'll come down and get him. So we we're going to turn him over to the sheriff's office to hold him until he was going to be sent to uh, Iowa. But the, the sheriff, and he was honest with us, Sheriff Floor, and he said, I, I don't know if I can give him back to you, especially if he fights extradition out of state. He might be released pending that, that hearing, and, or, but I, I can't guarantee I'll give him back to you by the law now. So our chief had to make a decision in San Diego, and he made the right decision. Is Our main goal is to remove people that shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And so we chose to remove him to Mexico. And, and you know, the Border Patrol had to call up Iowa and say, sorry, Iowa, that he won't face justice in your state now because we can't be guaranteed that he'll come back to us because of California state sanctuary laws. So the people of, of Iowa did not get the justice they deserved. Right. The person who was brutally beaten didn't get the justice she deserved because of the, the state sanctuary laws. And I don't get it because a few years ago when I would meet with people with a D after their name or, or whatever, they all understood border security was different than immigration. It's two separate subjects, and border security and getting rid of criminal aliens was a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping out gangbangers and cartel and, and terrorists was good. And now somehow it's been conflated. It's all back to one immigration, border security, it's all the same thing, and everybody's just like up in arms about it. But that's not the case. Yeah, it, 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 I scratch my head now. I mean – this has gotten worse, not gotten any better over the 12 years that I've been here doing this. And I was talking about the problems that they had even before Hold Your Feet to the Fire was going on. And all this does is give us the opportunity to bring people like you on to verify what we're telling people about what's going on. So what does our country do on something like California? I understand that they're suing them. Yes. Is it? Does it look like we will win, or is it going to have to go all the way to the Supreme Court? I, I think they have a good case. I, I think they have a good case. The State Department's weighed in, and, and there's some legalities, but the State Department has said that this is causing them grief with their interactions with other countries. Because some countries are saying now, well, if California's a sanctuary state, we might not take these people back. 
that's that's a slam dunk. If if it can be shown it's interfering with our relations with foreign nations, mm-hmm. that's obviously state can't do that. Um, so I, I think we have we have good shot at that. I think we have to continue with the defunding. Um, you don't get, you know, I hate the saying, but, you know, have your cake and eat it too. It never made sense to me. But you don't get to have it both ways. I want the funding for our stuff, but we're going to poke you in the eye and we're going to disrespect and not follow federal law. And, and I tell people when they get really crazy about it, like, you know, we did this once before and, and it didn't work out well. It's called the Civil War. Yeah. It didn't work out then and it won't work out well now. I've said that before, that the only place to go the way these people are pushing is to take uh, arms against states that are doing this stuff, and we don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I would suggest before that we, we would have to be very careful, but you could probably, very rare, but there's some cases you could probably made against some, some elected officials when they're out and out obstruction. Um, there, there might be some legal grounds to take against them. The mass arrested, I've heard people say, that's because somebody says they don't like the Border Patrol ICE, that's not enough. But some of the things, if they actually hinder, that might be enough for some obstruction charges. We have to go down that road. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to get a break in. Let's come back. And I know that you're with the Border Patrol. Let me just ask about this from the left, it seems like, from Democrats, that uh, we're getting this pushback that, ice is bad that they need to go and see what you think about that and then i have my opinions on that sure um and what's the future of the border patrol let's talk about that because if they push ice that way what's to say that hey the only reason you're around is to be hassling people from other countries we'll talk about that when we come back it's dave ellswick's show we're at hold their feet to the fire in washington dc our guest is christopher harris secretary director of legislative and political affairs for the national border patrol council local 1613 back in a moment all right if you just joined us i'm at hold their feet to the fire we do this every year this is the 12th year that we've gotten together it's just not me uh, there are 60-odd more talk show hosts here today. This is the largest uh, Hold Their Feet to the Fire that they've had, Radio Row. And it's all about getting information out to you, the citizen, so that you can let your elected officials, which you're going to hear from today. i got Congressman Hill coming on next. i got Senator Bozeman coming on after him. And you can let them know you want this stuff stopped. Now, it's going to take more than just our guys. It's going to take a concerted effort by both parties. Uh, maybe the right to do some uh, good. Maybe the Republicans can do some good. But I'm not expecting much of a pushback uh, from the Democrats, and especially not the Democratic Socialist Party uh, that is beginning to form under our very noses. Uh, Christopher is the Secretary Director of Legislative and Political Affairs, the National Border Patrol Council, Local 1613. He is with us today, and it's good to have him with us. He can give us kind of a look behind the curtain of, uh, of on the border. He's got 25 years of federal law experience, 21 years with the Border Patrol. And um, you were saying during the break, we're slipping backwards. Is that true? Whoops. Yeah, so the first thing is uh, you, you guys are lucky to have French Hill. He's been, Congressman Hill's been out to see us, and we've had him out there, and the uh, guy's a good man. And, and he took the time to come out and meet with us to learn about the border. So you guys you guys got a good, good congressman there. Um, what I said was we're backsliding, and it's unfortunate. Uh, when I came in 21 years ago in that area, um, on the Chula Vista side when it was raining out, we were catching 1,000 people a night, not, not a 24-hour cycle, a night. And uh, my, my record is catching the same group three times. I'm sure the fourth time was a charm for them. We got it under control. Uh, we have uh, much better barriers and fencing and roads and sensors. Okay, and let me start, stop you because the left says, 
don't matter if you got a wall or you don't have a wall. True? So when the military or banks want to guard something, they let it just sit outside or they put walls and fences around it. So when you want to guard something you care about, you love, you want to protect your family, you put walls and fences around that. Um, it tends to be rich people live in gated communities with walls and fences around their compounds. So it works for them. Why wouldn't it work anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Fort Knox is not just a pile of gold around there with armed mint police. It has got a thick, thick walls and, fe- and barriers and fences and all that because they work. Um, nothing is perfect. We shouldn't shoot for perfection, but we improve what we have incrementally. And so the better fence you have, the better wall you have, it not only helps us do our job better, but it keeps us safer. I, I got struck in the head by a rock in 2006 by a guy who climbed our 8-foot fence. An asthmatic 12-year-old could climb that fence. If that fence was 18, 20-foot high, um, I, I had four years of traumatic brain injury and injury, you know, problems with that. That wouldn't have happened to me. So that infrastructure, those fences, those walls, not only keep this country safer and the people there, but it keeps the agents, the men and women of the U.S. Border Patrol, safer doing their job mm-hmm. protecting you. So I, I get a little tired of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jan Napolitan was famous for saying you build a 50-foot fence, they'll build a 51-foot ladder. I was a firefighter in New York. There's no 51-foot ladders, not, <laughs> unless they're on a truck. I, that's five stories tall. Right. And, you know, we'd laugh if guys were running with a five-story ladder. So they work. Nothing's perfect. You know, you can build a maximum security prison, and people every now and then will escape, especially if you don't have the armed correction officers. But if you, if you have the right mix of technology and infrastructure and, and the boots on the ground, you can really start locking down that border because we, we've shown we can do it in certain areas. But we're backsliding now because our, our, our manpower has dropped from the statutory minimum. Congress said was 21,370. We're at right around 19,000. So we're 2,000 below the statutory minimum. So my station in San Diego, Imperial Beach Border Patrol uh, Station, um, three years ago, over 400 agents. We're probably around 300 now, 30% drop of agents. We've had to shut down units. So we are starting to backslide. If you don't have the guys here to make sure they're not cutting the fence or climbing it, it might take them hours. But if you don't have agents in the area to interdict that, yeah, they'll do it. But, again, you get that right balance and then add some interior things like that, that national mandatory verify. Right. And, and you really can start resolving this problem. It's not, it's not, it's not insolvable. And nobody should tell you that it is. We put a man on the moon. We invaded Normandy in June 6, 1944. We're capable of doing this. We're the United States of America. Right. So we can do it. So don't let people tell you that straw man argument or whatever, that, oh, this or that. We can do it. The, the will has to be there. And we don't need drastic changes in laws. Just let us do what's already there in the books. Well, a lot of people say that the, the Israelis have proven that a wall works. Well, I mean, Trump's enamored with a wall. It was only because he listened to the Border Patrol, mostly the Union, saying we need to be able to see through it. But, I mean, got, he wanted an actual wall. He saw the wall in, in, in Israel, the anti-terrorism wall, and it yep. works when you have the right technology. And we work with the Israeli Defense Forces on certain technology for tunneling, and I'm not going to get into that. But, right. you know, it's doable. Um, we just said we need, to see, we need to see people ready to ambush us and, and, and you know, our assailants. Um, but walls and barriers work when they're done properly, and, and they're extremely helpful. So we can solve this problem. You break it into manageable pieces. The first one is bifurcating immigration reform from border security. Nobody should be against border security. Keeping out cartel and gangbangers and drug dealers and criminals and terrorists. How is that a bad thing? Right. The only people I can think that would support that are open border activists. And then be honest about it. You, you want to see harm done to this country. Or you're in the cartels. You're smuggling. <laughs> Nobody else right. should, should support open borders. Or you're being paid by the cartel. Or, yeah, or, or you're, you know, somebody else has an agenda and they're paying you. Yes. Um, or you know, the Soviets used to call people useful idiots. They get them spun up on something they don't really know what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. that gives them that mass. 
I, I differentiate between liberals and leftists. I have a lot of liberal friends. Leftists have an agenda. It's usually not good for this country. Yeah. Liberals are usually pretty good people. They're just generally naive, and a lot of times they want to help people with your money and my money without asking us. But that's that's a separate thing. But there are people on the left that have an agenda that's not good for this country. Um, and we're seeing it more and more uh, playing itself out it's just in this a, country. It's just a hatred for all things law enforcement in general, but specifically ICE and Border Patrol. We're seeing that. This vilification for guys who took an oath to uphold the Constitution, defend the Constitution in this country, but also uphold the laws that are, are, are on the books. And so I've talked to congresspeople, how dare you um, vilify my men and women when you wrote these laws? And so when I tell activists, if you don't like the laws, don't tell me not to enforce them. Have your elected officials change them. And if they won't, then elect somebody else. That's how the system works. But I have people looking me in the eyes sometimes and go, Chris, you know these laws aren't good. You guys shouldn't enforce them. And I look at them and go, I want you to look me deep in the eyes. I want you to think about this. Do you really want your law enforcement at the federal, state, and local level choosing, picking and choosing what laws they like and what laws they enforce or don't enforce? You want us to have that power? Because I don't want us to have that power. Right. That's a slippery slope. We're, the rule, we're a nation of the rule of law. And we started getting away from that last administration, the rule of a pen and, and a telephone you know, and all mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. the rule of man. We were, rule of law goes back to Magna Carta. And we, we have to get back to that. If you don't like the law, you don't just don't follow it. You don't just tell me don't enforce it. I took an oath. Change it. Change it through the system. But the laws are there. The, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has not said they're, they have not nullified them, so they're constitutional, and we're going to enforce them. We're going to protect the people that live in this country. All right, we're down to about three minutes left. I know you're with the Border Patrol, but I know you have some, you've kind of let some things come out as you've been speaking, this whole thing about ICE. Sure. How do you, how do you react to this vilification uh, of, a, of this federal agency that is doing nothing but good work? Probably the same way another former Border Patrol agent has, and that's Tom Homan, former director of ICE. No, he's Tom former Border Patrol. Yes. So he's a former Border Patrol agent. Um, my brothers and sisters and ICE are doing what they're supposed to do. And they, they don't just do immigration enforcement. People forget that C and E. And, and what it gets me a little crazy is we see a lot of people are against human smuggling. That's something different than apparently mm. other smuggling. And, you know, it's usually has a sexual connotation or, or whatever. Yes. But it's all the same. It's the same. It's all the same cartels and the same smuggling groups. So when you go after one, you're going after the other. You don't go, and hey, that group looks okay, but that's a group that's doing the human smuggling. And that's what ICE goes after. Border Patrol, too, but ICE, that's a big component. They rescue people that are going to go into sexual bondage, sexual mm-hmm. slavery, that are going to be sold into indentured servitude in this country from, from various third world countries. That's people they save. They go after people that are, are doing espionage and, and getting rid of tech, taking technology of this country and exploiting to other countries. They do a lot of good work, and in conjunction with the Border Patrol. So when you vilify them or us, you're basically saying you don't want people stopping bad people from doing those things. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and I find that reprehensible. Well, and, and rightly and rightly so. Christopher, we're out of time. If you don't mind, you gave me your card. I can call you from time to time. Maybe sure get you can, on. Dave. I do border tours. You're welcome to come out anytime. I know San Diego is a horrible place to visit. Yeah, it is. But um, and you don't want to live there. But uh, <laughs> come out and I do border tours. <laughs> I, I welcome anybody. I do it from the, the press, elected officials, and just general public so they can see firsthand. And when you have that civil discourse, hopefully it's civil with someone, you could say, I saw this firsthand, or are you just parroting something you heard? Well, it's just like when I went to Texas or Arizona the first time, King Anvil. A lot of people think when you say desert, it looks like the Sahara Desert. It does it. It's a hard surface. Hard pack. And people, I had had pictures of all the bicycles for the 
the cartels were using and all the rest, and we talked about that, and it gave a, a better view. Did you for see our the mounds of trash in areas? Yes, that, I did. It's insane. It I is insane, there. absolutely. And those people are are uh, prisoners of their own homes. They can't come out because of the people that come across the, the border. Christopher, I appreciate you coming by. Thank you very much. Dave, thank you for having me on. My pleasure. All right. We'll have Christopher Harris on in in the future again. Talk more about this with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, though, we got to get to the news. Let's get you brought up about what the circus is going on in the Senate right now. Democrats are asking, acting like clowns, but that's nothing new. Let's hear what the news is here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Back with you here in Washington, D.C., the Dave Ellswick Show. We are at uh, hold, your feet, hold Their Feet to the Fire. And uh, we just had Christopher uh, Harris on. Great way to start the show off. Secretary, Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Border Patrol Council, Local 1613. He was just talking, uh, and by the way, just joining us now, Congressman French Hill. And Congressman Hill, he was just telling the story about, you know, you were talking to him afterwards about visiting San Diego Sanctuary City. Now California is a sanctuary state. Right. And he said that uh, they pulled over a drunk driver. I mean, the guy could hardly stand up. And they called the local sheriff said, come on out and get him. Says we can't take him from you. Just let him go. He literally, they literally had to give the keys back to a drunk driver and let him drive down the road. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. And I think. Citizens in California, you and I don't live there, and we can touch wood about that. And there's we're, a reason. <laughs> we're, in, we're in God's country in Arkansas. Yes. But I, I think the citizens there are worn out with this. It makes no sense. It's not good for public safety. It's not good for our kids. It's not good for street safety. And it's demoralizing when we don't do what? Obey the law. This bl- winking and nodding about something's legal or not legal, it, it's as I say, I, to me, it's immoral to do that. You're yep. sending a bad message to our kids that you can pick and choose between what laws that we obey or not, and that's never good. Sure, there's some gray areas. This doesn't happen to be one of them, but it's concerning, and that's why I think Californians are rejecting this kind of behavior. Maybe one county, one city at a town at a time, but they're doing it. Well, they're rejecting it because that that state is losing people more than they're gaining people now. Chris is an outstanding spokesperson on this issue of a secure border. Uh, I've met with him. I've seen his work. I've met with uh, his uh, men uh, who wear the green uniform of the Border Patrol in San Diego. One of the most difficult corridors, and I can't say enough good things about their work ethic. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, what do we do about states that want to make themselves sanctuary states? I understand the federal government now has some form of a lawsuit against California about this, but that's going to drag on uh, for years. Where does this thought process comes, come yeah. from that a state thinks that they can supersede federal law? Well, I remind people that uh, President Andrew Jackson uh, put a stop to that back when John C. Calhoun of South Carolina suggested that federal laws could be nullified uh, back during the first quarter of the 19th century. And, of course, that's been upheld many times that federal law is superior. And that can be frustrating and controversial occasionally. But, look, we withhold federal support from state and local governments all the time when they don't comply with federal environmental laws. Uh, federal tr- highway and transportation funding is withheld if you don't comply with federal requirements. So for me, this is a common sense issue. 
And I'm glad uh, Congressman John Culbertson, who oversees part of the Department of Justice Appropriations uh, Committee, said, look, we're not going to give you grants to your state or locality if you don't comply with federal law on this issue. So that's one thing we can do is is, uh, uh, hold their feet to the fire by if you comply with federal policy, then you'll get federal funding. All right. So Chris was talking about that the Border Patrol is – staffed well below the minimum of what law says it should that, right. that now that's up to congress at that point right. to to finance whatever is necessary to bring them up to full force what's holding that back well we had uh, good work by mike mccall and in the appropriations committee we added as you know in this fiscal year a little over 100 miles of uh, barrier construction we had 100 judges added to help move these cases along along the border and we had some new border enforcement agents uh, put in place. But we're way short, which is why I supported President Trump's uh, compromise effort on ending um, the whole DACA th- th- thing. This whole, you know, uh, let's bring it into the DACA issue. Uh, let's have border security. Let's go to a more merit based system. Let's get rid of the diversity lottery system. But in that was an excellent funding mechanism for border security, which includes judges. Because we want speedy justice, and we're not getting it, and we want an effective Border Patrol. When I was in Del Rio, Texas, back in the spring, um, the Border Patrol agent there told me that any force uh, rolling, meaning in a car, about 45% of their men are actually out on the job that you and I think is their job. Right. The rest of them are, are transporting a prisoner to court in San Antonio for a hearing date uh, on family leave, vacation, uh, in training. So when we authorize these positions, say 1,500 per zone, uh, and then we say 40, and they're not full, to your point, and then only 45% of the people are on the beat, we clearly have a management challenge and we have a manpower challenge. And, and, when, I, and when I'm with sheriffs or Border Patrol agents from San Diego to Brownsville, manpower is the number one issue. Yeah, they say having boots on the ground. You said yeah. you can have as tall of a fence as you want. Somebody will figure out how to get over it if there's no manpower on the other side to stop them when they do get over right. it. So uh, we've got a long list of other things, uh, functioning good radio systems that interconnect uh, with other law enforcement, state and local, um, uh, use of superior technology, infrared, sound, video cameras mounted on poles as well as uh, in balloons, aerostats. Uh, The border wall does shape the terrain, which allows us to do a better job of interdicting illegal behavior before they get into the United States. We need all these things, and all these things is what President Trump proposed with his immigration reforms and a settlement to help our dreamer kids, and Chuck Schumer rejected it. Mm Mm-hmm. And time went by, and we didn't get it through the House like we should have, in my opinion. So with Schumer, of course, he's the head of the Senate. He's the face of their party. And it seems like to me, and and I talked with Chris about this, that the Democrat Party, which has always been kind of a porous border party as far as their thought process, has even gotten even more so as this whole new kind of socialist movement is happening uh, within their party. I mean, it might be only 15% of his 
of his uh, party, but it's part of the base that he's got to play to. Is is that what we're seeing now with the Democrats? Oh, I think I think it is. I think the Democratic movie, move, uh, movement and the Democratic Party is moving further left. <coughs> you saw that last night in Boston where Mike Capilano lost his Democratic yep. primary there. You saw it by a House resolution on the floor of the United States House, the People's House, to support immigration and custom enforcement, the people who save lives in the desert, who round up criminals, round, round up MS-13 thugs, and 133 Democrats voted present. 35 voted no, which means they want to abolish ICE. Mm-hmm. And only, if my memory is right, only 18 Democrats voted with all the Republicans to support our immigrations and custom enforcement operations. And that's the biggest change because the Democrats used to be, well, look, they're just coming across because they need a job. That's not the case anymore. Just let them, they just want open borders anymore. We've lost the mission here that I would think if you go back and watch video of Barack Obama or Bill Clinton, who had a common sense approach. We need a legal immigration policy. You and I might uh, you know, we might disagree with President Clinton or President Obama about what that legal immigration policy is, but of course we don't let people come across our border illegally. I don't know why this is so partisan now. It should not be partisan. This should be a pure American good governance, uh, public safety, public health issue. Well, it's just like talking to Chris about this whole thing of separating families, children from their families and things, and saying they don't know if these kids belong to the people that they're coming across uh, with. They could be being brought in for sexual exploitation. He said, if you're a police officer and you go in and bust a, a drug dealer and he's got kids running around and he's laying there with a needle in his arm, of course you separate the children from that kind of a, of a, of a deal. Why wouldn't you do the same thing on the border? Well, that's exactly the legal origins of it. But let's let's start with the first premises. Children were separated from their parents when we had 10,000 of them cross the border with no parental yes. contact. So of those 2,500 parents that brought kids across the border that DHS is in documenting and helping, I don't think they should be separated. I think they should be held together until their claim is adjudicated. But look, families who live outside of the United States who have some fear in their home country who want to try to seek asylum in the United States need to apply. Simply present yourself at a port of entry. Don't pay a coyote $5,000 and risk your life and your children's lives coming across the border illegally when we have a process to help uh, those people. Secondly, the human trafficking risk you're talking about is big. It's huge. It's big also for the ones who come in and get placed with quote-unquote a next of kin under the laws of the United States Mm -hmm. pending a decision. We've had instances of child labor, forced child labor, child prostitution, uh, even with people who claim to have some familial connection with these kids. Our Department of Human Services and our Department of Homeland Security have a big task here. It's complicated, and it's not something that should be put on a bumper sticker. I mean, we ought to be doing this in the best interest of kids. It's the same problem that cop has when he walks in that crack house where the mom's passed out on the floor, as you point out, with kids there. They're put in foster care. It's heartbreaking. And I don't deny that, but we have to look out for the welfare of these kids. 
maybe the best situation for the child though. potentially and that's heartbreaking this is a brutal problem yeah i agree our guest congressman french hill he'll be with us for about another 15 minutes let's get a break in let's do that i'm in washington dc live today we are at hold their feet to the fire this is the 12th year that this event has been going on i've been here all 12 years yeah, it's a pleasure to come here every year and, and have the people who know what's going on on our border to uh, join us on the air and to explain it to us year after year after year. I just wish something would get done. Amen. All right, a break. We'll be back. All right, we are in Washington, D.C. I'm at the Phoenix Hotel if you want to know where I'm at. I'm just uh, down the way from Union Station, about a couple blocks away from the what everybody thinks is the back side of the Capitol, which is really, I think, the front side of the Capitol. The back side faces the, the, the National Mall, but everybody thinks that's the front side because that's the only side that you normally see. But, uh, yeah, we're right in the, the midst of it here, and uh, although I have, I didn't see Piper Parabu yesterday. You know, she got arrested because she was at the uh, Senate meetings yesterday, and she was so proud of it. See how proud of it is later down when she needs a loan or something that pops up. So anyway, our uh, our guest here in this uh, last 15 minutes is going to be our Congressman French Hill, who's with us. And and uh, he has been, as you heard from Christopher Harris, if you were listening in the last half hour, he sees uh, the Congressman as being one of the really good guys because he comes out and he visits and he sees what's going on on the ground. Senator Bozeman's getting ready to come in here in just a few moments. He's been out mm-hmm. to the border as well. You know, you s- how did it change your view of what was going on in the border when you got out and you really saw it? First of all, take into account local conditions, the topography, the role of a barrier wall, how it works, how it fits, the perspective of from a county sheriff or a municipal police department, how they work with the Border Patrol. Do they? First of all, do they mm-hmm. interconnect? Do they uh, cooperate? They, they don't now in California. No, they don't. They uh, can't. They don't. And, and if they do, it's informal, where the policeman says to the border project i have a guy you might be interested in i'm gonna be around you know so-and-so address uh, you might swing by and check but that's not with his higher up permission so again right. we're corrupting the authority of our police force and our laws so i'd say shaping the terrain seeing what's right but i came away look with we have a technology gap we have a manpower gap first and foremost we don't have a strategy gap we're faced an overwhelming enemy, which are the drug cartels, the human traffickers, uh, the gun smugglers. And uh, I, I tell you what, these people are doing the Lord's work out there protecting our citizens and protecting, frankly, those who are trying to come across to the best of their ability. And uh, it's a tough, tough job. That's what I liked about what Christopher said. Everybody zeroes in on immigration when you talk about ICE. Well, there's a C and an E in that word and it talks about they're looking out at human trafficking right. they're doing a lot of different things uh to protect people so i guess that people want to get rid of ice they want they don't mind that children are being uh, trafficked you know in a sexual manner for uh, you know despicable people in our country they're doing all that and facilitating billions of dollars of commercial trade between Mexico and the United States, which is our largest trading partner along with Canada. That's the amazing thing. We're performing this incredible, complex law enforcement mission from the Pacific Ocean to the Gulf of Mexico, 
with well-trained people who are doing the best job they can. They're inadequately equipped in manpower and and facilitating billions in trade that employ, you know, Americans. So, yeah. so where do we go from here, Congressman? I mean, it seems like we've gone backwards a bit instead of moving forwards the way we should. And I know that the president has a lot on his plate. Uh, you know, what do you foresee in the future? Well, it's sort of good news, bad news. I mean, one of my deepest disappointments in the three and a half years I've had since I've served in Congress and left my 30 years of uh, being in private business, biggest disappointment was not getting immigration reform across the finish line. I thought President Trump crafted a, a decent compromise that emphasized border security, which has attempted to be funded and done by the Congress since... 2006 with President Bush, and and you know from all your research, go all all the way back to the second term of Bill Clinton. Go back to Eisenhower. And, you know, we're not (laughs) doing it. And so where are we? I I think that after the election, uh, I hope the president makes this a priority to bring a group of people into the Oval Office and say, we must get this done. We have the bones of a good compromise. We need Republicans and Democrats to come together, get us our border security, protect the dreamers, reform our broken immigration system in terms of enforcement in the interior, go to a more merit-based system, and start again. So that's where we need to go. But it's not all bad news because we drove that message this year. We wrote the law. We got the vote. We got President Trump engaged. We got compromises between Republicans. And, you know, we didn't get any Democratic votes, but behind the scenes, there were some Democratic compromises there. So we're, it's very frustrating. Yeah, it's close. Now we got elections coming up. And and with midterms coming up, nothing gets done. Nothing on this issue, in my opinion, until potentially the lame duck session of Congress when the the Republicans maintain control of the House and expand their seats in the Senate. We might have a shot at this kind of legislation during the lame duck session of Congress if the president engages and helps. And if not, then it'll be early in 2019. Let me just ask, I mean, you, you're watching it like everybody else. The Hill over the la- the publication, The Hill, mm-hmm. has been, uh, you know, ballyhooing the big blue wave is coming. Finally it's coming, blah, 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 blah. I don't believe it. I, I won't believe it until I absolutely see it. Uh, it's not going to be like 2006 or anything like that. And I still think the polls have got it totally wrong. So... Let's say that the House suddenly does fall, and, oh, God, that you might have Nancy Pelosi as a speaker. Yeah, yeah, he's crossing himself. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, what, you know, what do we do then? I mean, have you all been thinking about that in any way, shape, or form? I mean, the military always has, you know, things that you're going to do if the worst thing happens. Have you guys planned something to do if the worst thing happens? Well, we want to pursue uh, our agenda, even in that Armageddon situation, which is to protect the tax relief that we've brought to uh, American families and the more competitive regulatory and tax environment that we've created for entrepreneurs and small business people and corporations. We want to protect the changes we've made for veteran accountability, which I'll say for the most part was more bipartisan. 
But she's going to have a, a uh, firestorm on her hands because her caucus wants to impeach President Trump. Mm-hmm. They want to abolish ICE. Mm-hmm. They want to raise taxes on the American family. They want to get rid of the tax cut you all just did. They do. They want to raise taxes on companies, even though uh, for decades that was a bipartisan priority to make America's tax system more competitive to attract people to the United States. Right. And I see that is uh, uh, bad for the country. And it will create chaos. And the American citizens are saying, we don't want more conflict and chaos in Washington, D.C. Well, if you elect, in my view, the leadership of the House to become Democratic, uh, that is what you're going to unleash uh, out there across the country. I know that this is different than any elections that I've been watching because it used to be, if the average American's paycheck was going up, if he had more money in his pocket, if he could take his family on a vacation, buy a kid's clothes for school, you were good. Not anymore because the left has gone so far left. Well, I think the American people will reject this movement to the left by the Democratic Party uh, because people do have more money in their pocket this year than last year. We are better off with the policies that we've pursued and we have Walmart and Target showing us that consumers are opening up their uh, pocketbooks for school. Uh, we've got more jobs, lowest unemployment since Richard Nixon was president. So I believe that will carry the day. All right. Congressman French Hill, we thank you for your time. Thank, thank you, you for Dave. coming over. Great to Appreciate be with Appreciate it. We'll take a break. When we come back, Senator Bozeman is supposed to be making his way over. We'll see if that happens. He was in a meeting. He may be running late. But if he is, we'll be ready for that. Let's take a break. News is next. All right, we're back in Washington, D.C., and I am at uh, Hold Their Feet to the Fire. Uh, coming up in the next half hour, we'll be talking to Elena Maria Lopez and uh, talking about uh, immigration fraud and false allegation awareness month. That's all coming up in the next half hour. But this half hour, hey, we got Senator John Bozeman with us. It's always a pleasure to have the senator here. Uh, I like to tell you that he's my senator, but he's also, I consider the man a friend, and uh, he's done a great job for Arkansas. You're working on the farm bill right now, and from what I'm hearing, things are going well. They are, Dave. And, and let me just say that we appreciate you being up here, uh, getting to visit with a variety of different people. I know that, you're, that your listeners really enjoy it, and uh, just getting a lot of different uh, input, which is a good thing. Today, we actually had the first uh, conference uh, committee of the Farm Bill, and that's where you, the Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate get together. They passed a bill. We passed a bill. What we're trying to do is iron out the differences. And so it's moving along. In Arkansas, it's about 25% of our economy. But when you get out of our get out of our cities and you get into the rural area, which is much of Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably 80% of the economy. So it's very, very important. What it does is put a safety net in place so the uh, farmers can go down and get the loans they need as they go forward. Uh, Pretty soon they'll have their crop harvested this year, and then they'll be looking at the planting season and trying to make those decisions, but the banks simply won't loan them the money. It's interesting. If you look at the, you know, what's going on in farmland right now, uh, bankruptcies are up about 30%. Wow. Uh, Suicides are up in the 30%. Uh, so really, lots going on. It's it's a very difficult economy for them right now. So it's important that we get this done. So you, 
The farmers in Arkansas, of course, soybeans is a huge crop in, in huge. Arkansas. So you had China to try to, you know, throw a trump card down, right. pardon the pun, and uh, said, well, we're just not going to be buying uh, soybeans this year. Enter in the European Union, who came in and met with the president, came up on their trade and said, well, we're going to buy the soybeans that I guess the Chinese are going to leave on the table, which took away their trump card, but also uh, to try to give a little more stability to the market. The president is, was it $36 billion that he's looking to, inter- to inject? He's going to put several billion in to, to help, you know, in that regard. And, you know, you look at the Chinese and, and uh, they cheat in every way there is. Yes, they do. They, they steal our secrets. They uh, manipulate their currency. Uh, you name it, and they, they do it. And so uh, lots of dumping going on. The president campaigned on this. And to his credit, the president's keeping his campaign promises. So he said, if you elect me, I'll deal with them. And he's working hard to do that. So uh, right now, uh, you know, he, I think we're moving in the right direction. Mexico's very, very close. Uh, you mentioned the European Union. You know, good story there. Uh, they've got a good template there that they're putting together. I think Canada also uh, will come along. We need, uh, you know, we, we have to look at new markets, you know, to, to be prosperous, to sell to overseas. On the other hand, we don't need free trade. We need fair trade. These need to be deals that, are, that work well for both sides. Yeah. I like to see, you know, no tariff trade is what I'd like yeah, to see. That's, that's what the president's expressed. And, and, you know, the good news is we can compete with anybody, you know, you know on a level playing field. Well, it's something that we've been dealing with for years and years and years, and that is... Uh, they say things like, uh, well, you know, we're not uh, hitting you with too many tariffs. No, you're, what you're hitting us with is that your government props up your industry. Right. And if the, you can't have right. fair business dealings with businesses that have got money coming in the back door from their governments. Right. No, you're exactly right. And in the, in the case of the Chinese, they <laughs> cheat every possible way. Uh, but we do need to, uh, you know, the, the trade with Mexico is important in Canada. Uh, but we do need to, to make it such that it works well for both sides. And the good news is that the president seems to be poised to actually get that done, which is a good thing. So how difficult does that mean when you guys are sitting down with the farm bill in agriculture and, you know, there's barriers that are being erected, probably rightly, erected and and trying to put some pressure on the Chinese because they played their trump card. They have no more trump card to play. So, you know, sooner or later they're going to cave. I have no doubt about that. But that still makes it really tough on the American farmer. What do you all do do when you look down the the road with that in in mind? Well, the president, you know, has announced his special plan, which is apart from the farm bill. What we're doing right now is every five years... Uh, we, we put a plan in place so that the, the farmers are able to have long-term planning options. They, they know what the, what the safety net's going to be in going forward. Also, the bankers, the lenders, which they you know, rely on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's really what we're concentrating on. We're blessed, Dave. We've got the cheapest, safest food supply in the world. 
and that did, just didn't happen. The other thing is, you know, we, we look at uh, in the farm bill, we look at things like research. Uh, when you look at the amount of uh, milk that comes out of a cow now compared to when you and I were growing up, right. or really just a few years ago, and then also the productivity of the farmers and, and the yields that they're getting now compared to not too long ago. So uh, the other part of that, and we're working on a water resources bill, the WERDA bill, uh, that has to do with our inland waterways. When you grow this stuff, you've got to have the, the facilities, you've got to have the ports, you've got to have the rivers in good shape so that you can load those on a barge and ship them overseas. And that's, that's really where that comes into play. So these aren't glamorous things, but, but they really are the backbone of the country. Well, there's one thing that people need to understand. America could feed the world if they wanted to. Well, they're doing a pretty good job of it right now. And again, you know, we, we just take for granted, you know, food that's safe to eat and things like that. That's certainly not at a reasonable price. Right. And uh, that's certainly not the case in, in a good part of the world. Absolutely. They, you know, it's hard to grow things in sand. <laughs> doesn't work real well. Although I will say growing things in Cabot with the clay is not easy either. Well, that's where that research comes in. You know, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, you, know you, you select for seeds that are varieties that are resistant to heat, resistant to bugs. And, again, all of that stuff just didn't come about. That was a lot of hard work. And, and you have people like the Chinese that come in and try and steal it. You know, we had a couple of people arrested not too long ago, you know, for, for stealing uh, uh, secrets related to agriculture. Boy, that's a big surprise, Chinese stealing things secrets you know and i mean i don't think people understand that the chinese if you want to do business uh in china you go over and build your business they hook up their government hooks up another company that kind of mirrors your company and all the all the different uh information comes into the front door goes into the chinese door and then uh, they duplicate it and then they start making the same product and then they undercut you and put you out of business. Right. And it's not that they can't do these things on their own. You know, they're an industrious people that that are quite capable. Yeah, but you can do it a lot quicker. You can if do you it a lot quicker. And, and the reason they, they need to do it a lot quicker is that their population is so huge, they need to create 20-some-odd million, million jobs a year just to prevent social unrest. So that's that's really... And, you know, we, we talk about with the Chinese, you know, their 50-year plan and all, and all that's true. But their number one plan, their number one priority is the Communist Party maintaining Stay control. Staying in power. That's stability. exactly right. And you have to have that with, you know, with, with jobs and things like that. And, and the president right now, to his credit, is putting a lot of pressure on them. And if you want to know how the Chinese keep uh, peace, just look at Mao. That'll, that'll teach you how right. the Chinese keep peace, which is not good for the populace. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll finish up with Senator John Bozeman. He's been good enough to come over from the Capitol and join us today. we got a few more minutes to talk to him. We'll talk a little immigration, too. But uh, that farm bill is a huge, huge deal we got to keep involved with. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We are at Hold Their Feet to the Fire here at the Phoenix in Washington, D.C., and we're back with more in just a moment. Am I back? I'm back. I heard, I heard. I always can hear Russ screaming at me when we're back on the air. Okay. You only Senator. missed it by about 20 seconds. Okay, just 20 seconds? Okay. All right. So I hope they heard my uh, – they didn't hear me talking about 
No, I governor. kept you turned off. While oh, you, you kept me turned off. Rant. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> Can you say I'd be on the bad side of Governor Huckabee's uh, Christmas list? You'd be on the bad side of Fearsome Cousin Charlie. <laughs> All right. We've, we're here now with uh, <laughs> Senator John Bozeman. And, hey, it's, we're catching up. We hadn't seen each other in about eight months now. So it's always good to have him you know, sitting in with us and talking with us let me talk about one more thing about trade and that is what the what the president is doing and why it's so smart he's taking care of getting things settled with the european union with nafta that's of course mexico and canada uh, although trudeau is playing hard to get right now that will change and then uh, if he gets all of that together that that's about 65 percent of world trade the Chinese have got to get in on the game or they're going to be left out. They can't afford to be left out. Smart man what he's doing. You guys you guys feel that way over in Congress about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, the president's a uh, businessman. He understand these th- understands these things. And so uh, uh, when you visit with these countries, when you visit with Japan, whoever it is, South Korea, you know, name a country, they want to deal with us. They trust us. Uh, you know, we have the rule of law, things like that. And that's just not true, you know, with the Chinese. And so, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, you're exactly right. I, I think once we do these others, it continues to put pressure on them, takes some pressure off of us. And, you know, it's interesting. When you look at the countries that we actually have trading deals with, we actually have a little bit of a surplus. I mean, it's it's about dead even. Mm-hmm. It's the countries that we don't have deals with, like China, that we run into real problems. How did how did they allow them still to be members of the World Trade Organization? I mean, they've got them still under the rules, as though you know Mao is just bringing you know mechanic you know bringing in tractors and stuff to their country. Well, I think they're, they're, you know, such a big economy, and the trend was to push stuff over there, you know, get them to make it cheap, and you bring it back, and all those kind of things. But uh, the good news is is that, uh, you know, a lot of people are waking up to all of this stuff, and it's just it hasn't worked like they'd like for it to work. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. Were you excited when you saw some of the things that had been uh, put together with Mexico on, on NAFTA, $16 an hour minimum uh, for their workers, so their workers are making enough money to live on, and uh, it doesn't pay to ship our jobs down to Mexico. No, you're exactly right, and, and I think everybody, I, I can't say everybody because you never can please, but I think you know, the, the, the things that they've come out with, well, <laughs> kind of yes and no. You know, the, the, the things that they've come out with, uh, you know, really are a great step in the right direction. And, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that you got to make like 75% of the parts for an automobile right. either in Mexico or the United States. Right. What's not to like about that? Right. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's, that's great stuff. That's, that's going to mean jobs. And that's a huge part of our economy. You know, as we, we talked about the farm bill, well, these yes. are other things that are, that are huge parts of our economy. And so all of that is, is, is good news. Uh, I think Canada will come along uh, in the near future. And then we need to, need to go ahead with the EU and actually, you know, we've got a good template. Uh, get that ironed out. And, and, and the Europeans want to trade with us. 
uh, you know, versus China. I mean, that's that's a good thing, and that shows a lot. Uh, that really shows a lot about what America is all about. And the uh, the Germans have shown a propensity to want to buy liquefied natural gas from the United States, haven't they? <laughs> Which would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I loved, it. I loved it when the president went out and called them out. You know, over, you know, well, you, you, I don't you understand know, said, people why you, who, why, why you would you say this? that? Well, it's the truth. Exactly. Why would you buy 70% of your energy from your number one enemy? That'd be like us buying from, from Iran. Did the same thing with NATO. And, yes. and again, I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of NATO. I've been involved in NATO since I was elected to Congress. Uh, it's, a great, uh, it's a great organization. Yes, it is. On the other hand, since I've been involved with it, the State Department, everybody else, you know, tell them to pay more, you know, do this and that. And, and yeah. we've been verbalizing that. But you do have a president now that, that basically, <laughs> you know, good. pay up or get out. Yeah. You know, and that's not a bad thing. Call spade a spade. Kind of like that. You're exactly right. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the Senate right now. And in the Senate, you've got the Senate confirmation hearings going on. In your wildest dreams, have you ever thought that the minority party would set up the charade and the circus that happened yesterday in, no, a, in I, a meeting like that? No, I, I, we were you know, actually visiting a little while ago, Dave, about... Uh, when Obamacare came in, and there was protesters from both sides, you know, people that, that desperately felt like that was the thing to do, others who felt like, you know, it was a terrible thing to do, which, which you know, turned out to be the case. But the, the um, you know, that was not organized. You know, those were people that came up, you know. And, and grassroots. Grassroots, you know, organizations, yes. uh, which is what it's all about. But uh, the idea that... that you know that the minority party itself would be the the ones that are organizing, uh, you know, and choreographing it, you know, along with their talks, is pretty wild. Yeah, and that you had senators so. that are talking on the Democrat side that want to be president in 2020 or run for president in 2020, interrupting the chair the way that they would do it 63 times. Right. Well, the problem is, when you look at Kavanaugh's record, Kavanaugh is a person of character. I think most people agree with that. Yes. He's a person that is a brilliant mind, and, uh, you know, as far as legally. Uh, he's got a long track record. He's eminently qualified. Uh, he's a person that's going to uh, take and look at the law and judge it not on how he would like for it to be, but what the law actually says. And so, as a result, there's just not a whole lot to go after him about. And they're frustrated. The only thing they can do is stall, delay, uh, those kind of things. And so that's, that's kind of the place that we find us in right now. The good news, though, Dave, that, you know, the hearing's going on. Yep. Everybody's going to have every opportunity that they want to, to ask the questions that they need answered. Uh, they'll vote. We'll vote him out of committee, and then uh, it'll go to the to the Senate floor. And I feel very comfortable because of who he is, uh, his past performance. In fact, Coach Broyles used to say, "Past performance is indicative of future performance." And based on his history, based on who he is, and I think uh, he should not have any problems getting confirmed. Last question for you, and that being, 
the rise of the radical left. I don't know what else to call them. I called them the left for a long time, and now they're even crazier than they... And I told you before, I think they're a bunch of clowns. I don't understand the uh, amount of Americans who have fallen for the crap that they've come up with here over the last, you know, getting rid of ICE and sanctuary states and all the other things that have gone on uh, here in our country. But, you know, that makes it harder to work with kind of the mainstream Democrats. They're, you know, they're dysfunctional, but at least you could kind of work with them. Now Schumer is just all over the place. You guys don't know what you're going to get. No, you're right, and it does make it harder because they're being pushed so far left. Uh, the uh, election uh, last night with Capuano yeah. uh, from Massachusetts. Perfect example. And, and you know, I know him well. He and I served together. Uh, we were on transportation together. He's a, he's, he believes in what he does. He's a very principled person. He's, he's, he's you know, far left. He's a, he's a liberal Democrat, but he's a very principled person, and and. There is a limit, you know, and then to run against somebody that's so far left, you know, that that. Uh, so this is a wake-up call to them, and it just puts more and more pressure. It's hard to, it's hard to strike a deal that, uh, you know, makes sense when they're being uh, so pushed. Uh, you know, it's it's a difficult situation. So uh, November is just around the corner. We're less than a hundred days out now, and. Uh, Things could really change radically if we don't watch out. Well, we need to get you know we need to get people to get out and vote. I don't think it's going to happen in the Senate. Yeah, I think so. you guys are going to pick up five seats. It's in the House that I'm worried about. People think they're going to get everything for nothing. Yeah, no, and you, I don't get it. No, no, no. You've got to get your vote out and get people that uh, people can't sit on the couch. You know, uh, people that uh, agree that you know all of these things are creating problems and that we don't want to lurch, you know, way way left. You know, lefter than uh, you know Europe. Yeah. Uh, so those those folks simply have to get out and vote. If they'll do that, then we'll be fine. If not, uh, then uh, we're going to have problems for a couple of years till the American public figures out again. You know what what we're stuck with. Senator, thanks for coming by. It's always well, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for being up here. And uh, we appreciate all of your hard work. And uh, it sounds like you have an absolutely great show. It's going yeah. good. Let's get- All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And as you probably know, it has gotten been kind of crazy here in Washington, D.C. Uh, to say that the media has gone nuts is uh, an understatement. You should see some of the reporting uh, that we're, we're viewing on local channels here in D.C. Uh, you're seeing things that Fox has and CNN and MSNBC and CNBC and all the rest of them. And, it, you know, on the left, uh, it, it's really, you know, crazy, crazy things uh, as well. And they're talking about the trade talks with Canada. Uh, latest information coming out about that. I was talking to Senator Bozeman about it. Uh, they're talking about that really getting back uh, on track again next week. Trudeau trying to play a little bit of hard to get, uh, but he knows that he's going to be left out in the cold. Uh, if he if he doesn't come to the table, because the people in the Senate that have been, you know, kind of having his back are going to give up having his back if he shows that he's trying to use uh, their quote protection of Canada, uh, you know, in their favor. So it'd be very interesting to see 
how all of this is, is going to work out. The New York Times has uh, come out with an article today, and I know that, uh, you know, you take whatever they have uh, to, to say that they are um, going to give you the truth as far as that's concerned. But uh, this is an opinion piece, and keep that in mind saying, I work for the president, but like-minded colleagues and I have vowed to stop parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. The Times today is taking the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed. We've done so at the request of the author, a senior official in the Trump administration, whose identity is known to us and whose job would be uh, jeopardized by its disclosure. We believe publishing this essay, essay... uh, where you don't know who it is, is the only way to deliver an important perspective to our readers. We invite you to submit a question about the essay or our vetting process, and then it says here, you know, as though that makes any difference. It just says uh, President Trump is facing a test his presidency, presidency unlike any faced by a modern American leader. It's not just that the special counsel looms large or that the country is bitterly divided over Mr. Trump's leadership, or even that his party might well lose the House to an opposition hell-bent on his downfall. The dilemma, which he does not fully grasp, is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and what they think are his worst inclinations. I would know. I'm one of them. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think that many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. We believe our first duty is to this country and that the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. Time to get find this person and get them out. Drum them out. They're not on the team. They're not on the team and if there's more than just one you need to get them all out and you need to do that and do it as quickly uh, as well I mean this guy just totally ignores the fact that millions upon millions upon millions of people voted for this man to be president of the United States and now he admits yeah I came over to work because I came over to continue on keeping the swamp in power. I mean, you got to understand, that's what this person is talking about. This president does not do business as usual, and because he doesn't do uh, business as usual, then it means that uh, you, you need to, to thwart him all along the way so that the business that he's trying to do, that the American people... Uh, voted him in to do doesn't get done. Uh, this guy says the root of the problem is that the pre- uh, about the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. Although he was elected as a Republican, the president shows little affinity for ideals long espoused by conservatives, free minds, free markets, free people. At best, he has invoked those ideas in scripted settings. At worst, he's attacked them outright. In addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is, quote, the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. 
Now, I can very well say that I disagree that he is anti-trade. I think that he is anti uh, we trade, free trade, and the other sides do not. I think that uh, he's saying, well, if we're going to have free trade, let's have free trade. Let's make sure we do it without tariffs. And if it's the only way to get to where there's no tariffs is for me to inflict tariffs on other countries because they have been inflicting them on us for years and years. And years. Look, this, is go- this goes back a long time, folks. And this, this gentleman either is fairly young or is just so ingrained in the swamp that uh, he doesn't want to admit that Canada, for instance, dumped steel in the 80s and decimated U.S. steel for years, inland steel, shut down Bethlehem Steel, got rid of, uh, you know, LLX and a lot of other steel-making companies because of uh, sending inferior cheap steel into the markets of the United States. And you don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about we try to sell milk in Canada, they slap a 225% tariff on it. I'm not, uh, I'm not making that all up. You can do the research just like I've done research and see it. Go back and read about the steel dumping of the 80s. Now you're talking 30, 40 years right there that that's been going on. And as you heard and listened to uh, Senator Bozeman, he was talking about back when he was a congressman, that uh, he was working uh, with NATO. Everybody got upset when uh, the president went over there and and called NATO out for not putting in the share that they said that they would put in. He admitted they weren't putting it in when uh, he was working with it, that he was talking to them about it, that he was talking to the State Department, make them pay what they should be paying, and nobody was doing it. That's the swamp doing their thing doing the status quo all the time. Well, this president is not doing that. He's actually trying to correct some of these uh, basic injustices in trade so that we can get to some fair trade again. I mean, everybody was stunned when this NAFTA thing came out with the, the Mexican government. There's a few things more that need to be crossed and, and dotted. But that that uh, the the Canadians, you know, they're fighting against it. They don't like the idea that the parts for cars are going to be made. The majority of them are going to be made in uh, the United States and Mexico. That's a good thing. They make more American and Mexican jobs, and those Mexican jobs, by the way, are going to be well-paying jobs, sixteen dollars an hour. What does that mean for an American worker? It means very easily this. The companies that are in this country that are looking for cheap labor, it's not so cheap anymore. And when you turn around and you got to move a whole plant to, to Mexico to a, retrain a workforce that's in Mexico, if it's not a cheap uh, workforce, it doesn't pay to move. And so they stay put here in our country. That's not a man that's anti-trade. That's a man who says if you're going to have trade, it should be set up on logical parameters. 
Don't get me wrong, this guy says. There are bright spots that the near-ceaseless negative coverage of the administration fails to capture. Effective deregulation, historic tax reform, and more robust military and more but these successes have come despite not because of the president's leadership styles which is impetuous adversarial petty and ineffective no he's not been ineffective if he's moved forward and the, and the uh, uh, economy is moving along the stock market is roaring along people's 401ks are up I mean I can I Look at it from a, a one case, my own. After uh, 2008 fell and everything fell apart, I lost almost everything in my 401k. Now I've gotten back what I lost and a lot more. And that's good. It's the way it's supposed to be when you're trying to prepare for your retirement. Not lose your money, build some money. That's uh, necessary uh, for your you know, being able to to retire, but we'll we'll have to see how things uh, continue on here. I I see this president as doing a lot of good, and I see our economy doing well. I see people making more money. Wages are up. People can buy more. Walmart tells us that people have opened up their wallets and are uh, spending. They say the same thing from Target. They say from uh, the car dealerships. All of them. The American public is buying now. So why would you want to change that? And I was talking uh, to uh, uh, Senator Bozeman, and I was talking to uh, Congressman uh, Hill, saying that this election that's getting ready to pull itself through here uh, over the next in, in the next couple of weeks uh, has kind of bamboozled me a little bit. If uh, the party in power had the economy roaring, people had jobs, wages were up, then uh, you could pretty well say that they were going to get reelected. Not now. Now... There's a decided large minority of people think that there really is such a thing as free health insurance. There really is such a thing as free, uh, uh, you know, college. There is such a thing as, as uh, you know, getting rid of ICE and having still a secure border or stopping human trafficking and stuff. Just insanity. Things that just don't ever add up. And there's going to be people who vote like that. They're going to vote like what I would think a high schooler would vote on because uh, when you say free, they believe that it's really free because they're not, they haven't been working and they're not paying the tax bill. They're not taking away their money out of their paycheck yet. It will come. All right, so let's take a break. Come back. i got more to talk about when we uh, continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. At a quarter till uh, 4 o'clock when we come back uh, and get into the 4 o'clock hour, Elena Maria Lopez is going to join us and talk about immigration fraud. Why is there a big gapping hole in our border security being ignored? She can tell you about uh, what she's been doing with the White House officials to draw attention to this important principle. 
How does the Violence Against Women Act play into marriage immigration fraud in D.C. circles? We'll find out when we hear what happened to her. Coming up on Dave Ellswick's show, but right now we've got a break. We've got to get in, got to pay bills. We'll be back with more in just a moment. All right, so uh, Conservative Weekly has sent, it, uh, sent out a, uh, a, a story that uh, I wholeheartedly agree with when he said, when they say, and I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs to you here. Uh, the self-styled saviors of the country need to step forward, identify themselves, and speak plainly, honestly, and loudly about this so-called menace in the White House. Instead, they continue to hide in the shadows chirping from the darkness that they've got our backs. Here's the latest example. Today, the New York Times made the highly unorthodox decision of uh, publishing an anonymous essay from a senior official in the Trump administration. Now, knowing the the, the New York Times, why am I to assume that this uh, uh, senior official in the Trump administration even exists? Because they say that they do, they say a lot of things that are not true. They have titled the piece, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. And uh, they go on to to quote a little bit of the article. Uh, They said, this just isn't good enough. Resistor, reveal yourself. And I agree. Why should we believe anything that person says if they don't have the gonads to uh, say what, quote, they know that's going on behind closed doors, uh, you know, in uh, over there in the, in the White House. Because I don't believe they're there. That's why. I don't believe it for, for an instance. So we're, we're going to have to see what all this hap- what happens after this uh, goes on. Uh, meet the press, by the way, if you wondered why uh, people look at those news programs and, and see them as being mu- nothing more than propaganda to try to uh, destroy the Trump administration. A man rammed his truck into the studios of Dallas Fox affiliate KDFW earlier this week, just two days after Meet the Press host Chuck Todd, I don't know if you saw the article or not, if you haven't, you need to read it, uh, published an article calling on his media colleagues to, quote, start fighting back, unquote, against Fox News. A... Uh, Man crashed a truck into the side of our building this morning. He jumped out and started ranting. He's in custody now, but the bomb squad is on its way. This is from their Twitter account. He left behind a suspicious bag. Most have been evacuated, and a few are working to keep the news on air from a secure location. The man, after repeatedly crashing his vehicle into a side of the building with floor-to-ceiling windows, got out of his vehicle and began to rant about high treason and also mentioned the sheriff's department. This was the man who smashed his truck into our stations this morning. They have a picture of the guy. Uh, the Dallas police bomb squad was dispatched to investigate a bag the man had left at the scenes. 
This car ramming attack comes just after NBC host Chuck Todd published an article Monday at The Atlantic calling for others to, quote, start fighting back against Fox News. Now, if, if a Republican or conservative, for that matter, had said the same things that Chuck Todd had said in his article and said, it's time for us to begin fighting back, blah, 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 and then something like that happened. Remember what happened to Sarah Palin? With the, uh, what was it, Gabby Giffords uh, shooting, and they said that she was responsible for it, then how is Chuck Todd not responsible for this kind of reaction with the things that he was saying? Unbelievable. Uh, President, his uh, approval rating is at 40 four percent according on the daily poll Uh, 54 percent disapproved the latest figures include 32 percent who strongly approve the president 44 percent who strongly disapprove and why do you disapprove man why do you disapprove more money in your paycheck the um, industry in america is is growing and expanding and moving along left and right, and yet you all can't see this, and you're upset with uh, superfluous things, because this president doesn't speak the way you do, or in fact probably does speak the way you do, by, you know, like I said with uh, the senator, calling the spade a spade, he doesn't, he doesn't mince words, he, he says what he thinks, and for some reason, We've all gotten used to politicians should speak in political speak, and, you know, they hate each other and st- sit in the well of the, center, uh, the Senate and say, the uh, great gentleman from the state of South Carolina and things of that nature, when in fact they want to say, hey, you SOB, what the hell are you doing? So why does that bother us when we know what they're really thinking? All right, got to get a break. Time for the news. Let's get that. When we come back, Elena Maria Lopez will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're live in Washington, D.C. Hold their feet to the fire is where we are at. And uh, I look forward to joining you in the next hour. Don't go anywhere. Shocking stories, I guarantee you, in the next half hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back for the uh, 4 o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We are live in Washington, D.C. We're at the Phoenix Hotel. We're just uh, around the corner from the uh, Railroad Union Station here, and uh, we're just down the, the way about two blocks from the Capitol, the front of the Capitol, not the side that faces the, uh, the National Memorial. You know, everybody thinks that's the front. That's the back. It's not the front of the Capitol. So uh, we, that's, that's where we're at. We're in the midst of all of the insanity that's going on right now. And joining us is Elena Maria Lopez. And if you think what you've been seeing about what's going on at the Senate hearings on the confirmation is insane, wait till you hear her story. Uh, let's start off by talking about national security. That's something that we always mention when we're talking about uh, illegal immigration and and what's going on in the borders, but what if it's not going just on the borders? Maybe it's going on in other ways as well, and you're just not aware of it. Now, full disclosure, Elena is a Democrat. <laughs> and for all of you who don't think I ever let Democrats here on the air, that's not true. 
Uh, just most of them won't come on because they can't, you know, they can't carry on a, co- uh, you know, coherent argument with me. But with with that said, Elena has been working on something about uh, immigration that's very, very important. In fact, so important, the White House has taken uh, notice of it as well. Let's start off first with national security risks. Uh, you go on the Internet and you see all these Russian women that want American husbands or uh, Filipinos or, or whomever they might be on. It may be men that are looking for women to marry and things of that nature. Not all the marriages are kosher, are they, Elena? No, they're not. And you don't just meet them on the Internet. Um, sometimes they're over here on a temporary visa. Well, that's the way I, I meet them, just because of my face. <laughs> So people always assume, like, oh, you must have met your husband, you know, online or something like that. And I said, no, I met him through a friend. And I thought he was completely vetted and a nice guy. And he was from the Netherlands. That's what I was going to say. He's not even from Russia. No, he was a white guy from the Netherlands. I'm the Latina. I'm the U.S. citizen. And he ended up scamming me. So he identified you. He targeted you, basically. Correct. To become his wife so that he could become an American citizen. Right. Mr. Charmer, I love you. You know, all the gifts. Mr. Romantic. Everything to make me fall in love with him. And then as soon as we were married for two years, he coldly announces on the night before our second anniversary, he's going to divorce me and I'm moving out. (laughs) And I was just like, what? Like, my head was spinning. Like, that just is not normal behavior. I think. Well, it is for somebody who just wanted to figure out how to stay in the United States. I mean, how long, how had he been in the United States in the first place? He had been traveling just on, because he's European, you know, he has a visa waiver, so he can come and stay up for for three months. So he figured that he kind of liked the United States of America and would like to be part of the United States of America, and so he figured out the easiest way to do it. Right, and I realize that only in hindsight is that what he, that's what he was really doing. It could have been me. It could have been anybody. It didn't matter. Yeah, he he just identified you. Correct. You know, he was able to woo you. It's no different than somebody who woos, you know, women out there for money and things of that nature. His, Absolutely. His thing was to get a citizenship. Yeah, and I, you know, as a U.S. citizen, I have a secret inheritance, which is by marrying me, he can become a U.S. citizen. So do you know whatever happened to him? How long have you been divorced now? I've been divorced a decade, but what happened is that um, when I refused to, I refused to sign off on his final immigration paperwork, he became good violent. Good for you. Well, yeah. yeah, but not so good. Yeah, not so good. He uh, he became violent and tried to kill me. Oh my god! And um, I had to flee my own home in the middle of the night. So um, he came at me with a firearm. I mean, it was just absolutely horrible. And when I went to immigration officials and told them about it, they were like, well, I, uh, you know, the investigator said I'd be a rich man if I had a dime for every time I heard this story. And I was just like, what? You're kidding me. Yeah, I was like, um, should you guys be warning people that are sponsor- sponsoring in foreign nationals? Uh, because they know the fraud rates are high. They, you can see congressional testimony. You can see court cases. Immigration investigators know this. Adjudicators know this. Most people working for the Department of Homeland Security know fraud rates are through the roof. But the U.S. citizens are never warned. Okay, so nobody said any. Yeah, I mean, I, I agreed to have you on as a guest because I, I knew there were people who worked on getting citizenship through 
through marriage, I did not realize that it was as it happened as much as it happens. Yes, yes. Um, the reason why the two years of marriage was a big deal was because the fraud rates were a third, and they um, they created a two-year marriage requirement because people could be married a week and then get a quickie divorce. And then what people did was they started sponsoring in their girlfriends or boyfriends from their home country immediately. Yeah. Let me let me just read this. It says, although two-thirds of legal immigration is chain migration, most of that stems from short-term marriages to U.S. citizens. Explain. Well, like I said, you only have to be married for two years. Right. Um, two years to the day. But there's other loopholes on ways to get around it, so you could still be married a week. <laughs> And we'll get to that. And that's some nas- those are the national security case- cases in terms of loopholes. But, um, yeah, most, most, most people don't know. They talk about um, asylum seekers, visa lottery, and all this other kind of stuff. More people are sponsored in through marriage than asylum seekers, refugees, visa lottery, and business-related, like employment-based combined. Yeah, it says combined. 29% of all legal immigration is... Through this. Through marriage. Marriage. Directly through marriage. And then once you get your green card, then you can start sponsoring in other family members. So has anybody done a study to see how many of those marriages are still intact? Well, (laughs) not about intact, but in terms of doing fraud rates, I've had to track down internal uh, Department of Homeland Security stuff. And there's been some fraud rates um, that have been as high as 51% that they've Okay, discovered. so there's documentation, and they know this is a problem. Yeah, but they don't want to release the data. That's the what problem. What a big surprise. Yeah, because, I mean, they don't want to have to be forced to investigate it. It's easier to just rubber stamp everything. Many family reunification connections are tenuous at best. Correct. Explain. Well, it might not be a, a legitimate marriage, We've found cases where it's not really your sibling or your child that you're supposedly sponsoring over. And the big one, of course, is marriage. So in terms of what the Trump administration is doing, in terms of requiring proof that people are family members before they release, you know, children to supposed family members. I mean, there's been a lot of lying and fraud, straight up fraud. With that in mind, we know that. Uh, you know, the whole sexual exploitation that has been going on in this country, it's much worse than they thought it was. A lot of that can be perpetuated by what we're talking about here. Well, how, do you, how so? What do you mean? Well, I'm talking about they could, somebody gets married, they get uh, citizenship, they can start bringing people in, saying that they're family members. Maybe they're not family members. Maybe they're Correct. being used in, in this industry, so to speak. Correct, and we found people that were still married in their home countries, and they still successfully married a U.S. citizen, which is bigamy and which is illegal, um, and they still got citizenship. Hang in there with me. We've got a special guest, Elena Maria Lopez. we got to get a break. Let's do our first break, then we'll come back, and we'll continue our discussion with her here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you, Washington, D.C. is where we've set up our... uh, our uh, operation camp for the next two days. We're at Hold Their Feet to the Fire, and we're just down uh, a couple blocks from the uh, Capitol building, and we've got Elena Maria Lopez with us, a former journalist, now a citizen lobbyist and advocate, 
She has been working, in fact, with the White House and about the issue that we're talking about here. One being uh, fake marriages so that people can get uh, citizenship here in the United States. And then we'll talk about false allegations here in, in just a moment. And you gotta got to hear this. I, I'd just like you to touch on this. There's a little paragraph here. It says, nothing has changed in current law to close or to tighten the loopholes that we've been talking about in the last uh, 15 minutes about fake marriages and people getting married to uh, American citizens and becoming citizens themselves after a couple of years. Immigration fraud is not a victimless crime, and I'd like you to talk about that, if you if you would, Elena. Okay. Well, uh, during the break, you said I blew your mind. <laughs> so no, you blew you blew all of our listeners' mind too, because yeah. you just don't think about it. But wait, this way. yeah, it gets better actually. Oh, um, no. So it's actually it's where immigration ties in with false allegations. Um, there's an organization called Save, um, and they've done a survey showing that one in ten um, allegations of abuse are false. Okay, stop and right there. Repeat that again. They claim, according to a SAVE survey that you can get on saveservices.org, it says one in ten abuse allegations are false, according to their survey. Okay. And, you know, we know about the cases like Nikki Yavino. She wanted to get in good with her new boyfriend, so she made false rape allegations, okay? Okay. We know of the Brian Banks story where there's that, you know, he was 17 years old and he was an NFL, he was in line to be an NFL draft pick. And uh, somebody falsely accused him of rape because they really wanted a $1.5 million settlement from the school. And she came out and said, yeah, I lied about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he had, by the way, Too served, late, by the yeah, way. He, played, he, he served six years in prison, his full sentence. Um, Don't you think that somebody who does something like that should take the place of the person who's already in prison, let him out, put her in, and make her serve six years now? That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, what people don't know is that there's another huge um, incentive. Okay, which listen, is, now listen. Now, if you're driving, you might want to pull over just for a moment. If you claim that you are a crime victim or a domestic violence victim with no evidence, investigations or interviews required just simply based on your own allegations, you can get fast-tracked U.S. citizenship. And it'll waive your background checks, and it'll help you hide criminal activities. See, somebody needs to do a big frickin' story about this. It's a, This is a secret, basically. This is a secret, and the only reason why... I mean, I've had so many victims. Because of what has happened to me, I started collecting cases from around the country. And time and time again, I started having people contacting me about false allegations, um, that they were accused in local courts of something. And when you start getting enough of those calls and you start doing the research... Um, then you start realizing that there's actually an incentive for this, and it's called the Violence Against Women Act, which is basically an immigration and national security risk bill legislation. You know, it's, it's an immigration bill cloaked as a crime victim bill. And the reason why that's important is because it's up for reauthorization at the end of September. And This I've, month. This month. And nobody, Republicans and Democrats, are not willing to change the existing loopholes. 
and the U.S. citizen spouse accused of anything is not even allowed to be interviewed. Any evidence they submit to the immigration file is not even allowed to be included. So what happened was I came over a series of, I tracked a series of cases that are national security risks. We found Russian brides, that most of them were all Russian brides. They did this. What a surprise. They did this to vet, I mean, to get around vetting Mm -hmm. and hide criminal activities. And then as soon as they got their citizenship, and it was fast, um, they married active active, uh, military with high-level security clearances and lived on U.S. bases. And these people were clearly involved in criminal activity. And the FBI was so disturbed about these cases because there were a cluster of cases. Mm-hmm. They contacted me at the end of 2016 for these cases. When I showed them to the White House in June of this year, they were floored. They had no idea that this loophole even existed. Okay, so question. Uh, 2016, that was the year of the election. Had the previous administration showed any inkling of wanting to know about this? Nobody showed any interest. I've been trying to warn people since 2012 when I first started uncovering these cases, and I get new cases all the time. With with having all these cases, and, and, and everybody just turns a, uh, a blind eye and, and say, nothing there, nothing there, nothing there, right? Correct, correct. And, I mean, it's, callers have the chance to actually fix this. Call your congressional offices. Go to immigrationfraud.com. Call Senator Grassley. Call um, Representative Goodlatte. Tell them that you demand that they close these immigration loopholes where people can bypass background checks just based on their own word. Because they were mistreated. No, they claim they, claim they, they were, were mistreated. mistreated. Okay. And it could be emotional, like, That's oh, important. my American husband or wife emotionally abused me. That's enough to qualify. Mm. It, it, you know, the more I hear stuff like this, I'm shocked when I first hear it, and then I think of all the things that I've heard in the 20-odd years that I've been looking through the whole immigration issue and and people's kids get killed and and nothing happens to the perpetrators and things of that nature or somebody turns them into a victim mm-hmm. because they came illegally into our country and killed one of our citizens. I should be I, I shouldn't be shocked anymore that this kind of stuff goes on. I mean, there's victims here. There's people who have been uh, you know unrightfully said that they. They did horrible things. You talk about a, a kid that didn't get to play NFL football because of it. He lost his career. He lost six years, like prime well, I'm years I'm sure of his other life. people have lost their careers. Yeah. You do that kind of, you, you know, domestic abuse to get you fired in a heartbeat now. Yeah. But the thing is, it, I mean, I'm asking for the same thing that the organization SAVE is asking for, which is to start investigating these cases. Figure out whether people are truly victims or not. And if they are victims, do what's necessary to protect them. If they're making false allegations, you need to call them out on it. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And especially now, because not only is it False Allegation Awareness Month, but Violence Against Women Act is um, going to be uh, supported in its current form to be reauthorized at the end of the month. And people need to understand that this is a huge national security loophole. Okay, this is Violence Against Women Act that she's talking about, and U visas. And I'm going to hold you. Do you have another interview coming up? 
uh, we're good for hour? now. Okay. When we come back, I want to take another about 10 minutes. Okay. I'd like you to talk about U visas and then talk about how they need, what loopholes they need to clean, uh, cl- uh, close up because it helps when they, my listeners call our congressmen and our senators that uh, they can give good, you know, reasons about what they want to them to do and why they want them okay. to do it. Okay, and you can go to immigrationfraud.com. I actually put something on the homepage to give like a quick cheat sheet oh, of, that's good. of what to ask for, and I even put the phone numbers on there, and I'm like, here's why it's a problem, and this is a Democrat, you know, and a Latina calling out both sides on this. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. All right, we've got to get a break in. we got to take a break. Let's get our five-minute break in here, and then we'll come back, and we'll have more for you here uh, in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, and then we have uh, another guest that will be joining us uh, as well. Uh, we'll be uh, joined up with uh, by Matt uh, O'Brien. He's going to join us as well. But I'm going to take a little bit of his time just for a moment when we come back, just so I can talk about U visas. That's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we are back in Washington, D.C., the Dave Ellswick Show. We're at the Phoenix Hotel in Washington, D.C. for uh, fairs, hold, their feet to the fire. Twelfth year that they've had this uh, convention and Radio Row and the biggest Radio Row ever. And i got to tell you what, with guests like Elena Marie Lopez, uh, good stuff that people need to know about. And Matt O'Brien is from FAIR, and he's going to be joining us as well. And Matt, Elena's telling me you kind of tipped her off to some of the stuff that we're talking about right now. Yeah, I used to work for uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services as the head of the National Security Division there. And so one of the things that we looked at was the uh, the VAWA and some of the other related cases uh, to check them for fraud and national security issues. Prior to that, I was Assistant Chief Counsel with ICE in New York. And uh, we dealt with a lot of those claims in the immigration court in connection with uh, various cases. All right. Now, you know, the whole thing VAWA is the uh, Violence Against Women Act, which is up uh, for keeping it around again in, uh, here at the end of this month. And then we were talking to Elena, and U visas is part of this. Explain to my listener about U visas. Uh, U visas um, were set up to help prosecutors. Matt, correct me if I'm cor- uh, wrong. It was set up to help prosecutors keep people in the country temporarily while cases were pending, like criminal cases. But it eventually ended up morphing into a path to citizenship. No pending court case needed to be active. Um, so it's become a lot like VAWA. You just claim you're a crime victim, and ooh, look, oh, lo and behold, you get citizenship you know you get a green card and citizenship in 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 whose universe does one person's opinion or story just get taken carte blanche and they get the special gold card kind of like like willy wonka or something to be a united states citizen it's like a lot of these programs. I, I think this was put in with good intentions. Um, it wasn't really necessary because there was already an S visa that law enforcement could use. Um, district attorney's offices, U.S. attorneys, when they needed to try and keep somebody for testimony, they put this to get these straight-up victims and give them an opportunity. The problem is there's not enough oversight or enough requirements that people prove that they were, in fact, a victim. Or a key to a case to con- to make a conviction because that was the true intent of the visa was for a conviction. keep them here in the states long enough so they could sit on uh, you know in, in court. Right. It was never to be a path 
to a green card or citizenship. And it, it does require certification from law enforcement, but the problem is a lot of times you have a sort of Stockholm syndrome that develops between the police officers investigating these cases and the people who are claiming to be victims. And, of course, a lot of the police officers don't understand the problems inherent in the immigration system, and so they will do this as sort of a uh, carrot-stick approach or as a favor to these people, which is not how it was intended to work. It's supposed to be for somebody that gives serious testimony that leads to the conviction of a criminal who's preying on the community. Okay, and so Elena's telling us that a lot of this is Russian women marrying, ending up marrying uh, uh, men who have high security clearances in the U.S. military. We all know about ones that work with the NRA. Uh, that just happened uh, here recently. Uh I mean, doesn't this worry people that this is stuff that's happening and that people may be spying on our own Air Force, Army, Marine, Navy bases? Well, worries a lot of people that work at places like FAIR and people who are committed who work in the federal government. Of course, one of the things that we rarely talk about in uh, Feet to the Fire and some of the other uh, media appearances is the United States immigration system is the biggest boon to foreign intelligence that ever existed. We're such an open country, and it's so relatively easy to get here that if you're a spy operation in a foreign country, it, it's a gift from God. Yeah. Just, just open doors, right? And yes. I I should say 75 to 85% of people getting a Violence Against Women Act immigration, you know, uh, green card, are successful. I mean, that's a disturbingly yeah, people, high people rate. People think they're doing something good right. with this law, and it has been, you know, pretzel logic has been applied to it. And now we've got doors for spies to get into our military installations. Right. But 75 to 85% of green cards of a certain type um, being approved was disturbing, but I called Matt for something minor, um, and he ended up giving me a more interesting statistic. Yeah, the fact is that that most of the people that are not considered for fraud in these that wind up, um, or I shouldn't say the people that are considered for fraud, wind up getting benefits of some other sort. There's very little follow-through to prosecution and deportation in these cases when they turn out to be bad. Some of that is attributed to people being a victim but not being a victim of something completely horrible. Uh, some of it is just bureaucratic lassitude, and because this is a sort of politically sensitive subject, the government doesn't want to follow it through. But rarely does anyone wind up prosecuted and or deported because they are committing VAWA fraud. Wow. And, you know, when I look at this, this is even, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it seems to me it's even worse because now you got somebody who ended up being married to somebody who's going to get screwed over because there's been probably false allegations that have been filed. Then these people may get remarried to somebody, and let's say they're Russian, and yeah, maybe they've been groomed to do this, and uh, now they're on military basis, so now our military secrets are in jeopardy. That's worse than the guy who's trudging across the, the uh, Arizona desert from the border. Unless he's a mule. Certainly. I, I mean, we got to kind of look at this holistically. I mean, the people coming across the border, their motivation for coming may be legitimate. They're still trespassers in the yes. United States if they don't have authorization. But people who are deliberately exploiting domestic violence issues, which are a serious problem in society, in order to gain immigration status, I mean, that's unbelievable. Those, those are people who are taking 
what is a genuine problem that affects all kinds of families, it affects children in those families, and they're lying about it so that they can get a green card. So, Elena, you're saying that of these marriages, like only like 10% of these people who are stepping forward and saying, I've been abused by my spouse or whatever, are probably lying, or is it higher than that? Well, that was the SAVE survey that okay. they had talked about that they thought, based on their survey, one in 10 false allegations are false. And that could be for child custody. It could be for other types of financial reward. Um, I don't think anybody truly knows how mu- how many of these VAWA applications are fraudulent. But um, the fact when, uh, what, you know, 15% are, are denied, the fact that when Matt O'Brien said, uh, yeah, but the 15%, they might not get VAWA status, but they're usually given others some form of relief to stay permanently in the country through another program. I yeah, mean, my, my jaw dropped to the ground when I heard so that. So I- explain what other program are we talking about here? Sure. So what typically happens for you to become ineligible for an immigration benefit uh, for having committed fraud is USCIS has to deny the application based on the grounds that you've presented fraudulent information. Now, those cases can sometimes be difficult to make, but they're not horrible. But I think there's a perception that if USCIS does this, they're going to be seen as persecuting people who are the victims of domestic violence. So there's a tendency not to want to issue fraud-based denials except in the most egregious circumstances. So very frequently what will happen is USCIS will say the person simply didn't meet the standard here. However, we're denying the application because of of failure to establish eligibility or failure to provide enough evidence, which means the person can then go forward and seek some other kind of benefit. And you frequently will have people that will file like a U, a T, a VAWA, have their lawyer reach out to law enforcement about an S visa all at once. And they're sort of playing the system and, and gaming it to see what they can come up with because the primary overriding concern is being able to remain lawfully or at least quasi-lawfully in the United States and work rather than the potential legal consequences. All right, an S visa. Okay, we know what a U visa is. Now, what is the S visa? The S visa is a special non-immigrant visa that allows law enforcement, not an individual, but law enforcement to apply on behalf of an individual for temporary permission to remain in the United States and provide assistance to that law enforcement agency or prosecutor's office. It's technically a non-immigrant visa, but you can adjust status based on that. And in certain circumstances, if you have provided information to law enforcement and you have managed to get a green card based on your cooperation with law enforcement, some crimes that you have committed can be waived if you file a naturalization application. And that's important because then it becomes the get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of hiding or waiving criminal activities that are exposed. When I leave today from my show, I'm going to go ahead and bash my head against the wall (laughs) in my room. I mean, when I hear stuff like this, I think that we're making you know, forward progress on the immigration issue. And then I hear this and I go, (laughs) sure as hell not. Well, the big problem with most of our immigration legislation and these misguided attempts to be generous to people who are trying to find the American dream, we have so many exceptions, they swallow up the fundamental rule. And the fact is that if you put a law in place to deter people from certain types of conduct, 
but you give all kinds of discretionary waivers to people making the adjudications decisions, then you have a problem because you're never going to achieve the deterrent effect that the initial law was intended to make in the first place. Yeah, if you can't get it all, but maybe you can get some. Correct. That just makes sense to me. I mean, if you're you know, somebody doing something illegal, you shoot for the moon. If you don't make it to the moon, at least you, you maybe you make it into orbit. Well, it, it, it betrays a flawed understanding of, of how people work. I mean, the fact is I, I worked in enforcement for this for the better part of two decades, and I'm one of the biggest advocates for immigration enforcement that there is. On the other hand, I understand basic human psychology. And I understand why if you're somebody who's in Venezuela and you manage to meet a tourist from the United States and get married, you may have an overriding reason to stay here. You mean you might have gotten tired of eating dog? Yeah, correct. And it, it's, I mean, it's a horrible thing to have to say, but the Venezuelans have, have ruined their own country with, with flawed political theories. Yes, they have. And so that makes it understandable for all of us who live in a free country with a good economy why they would want to come here. The problem is we can't let everybody whose country has fallen apart into the United States as understandable as their desire to be here in safety and security may be. Okay, I need to take a break. Lena, stick around. I want to hear from both of you about what needs to be done to rectify this and it doesn't sound like it's going to be a light lift it sounds like it's going to be a real heavy lift we'll talk about it when we continue live from washington dc it's the dave ellswick show i have to honestly be completely honest with you very seldom do people come on my show and totally catch me ignorant about something you have caught me on something that i'm totally did not realize was a problem and that's this violence against women act the u visas and the way that people are using marriage as a way to circumvent the immigration process it just totally has astounded me that it's going on so how do we stop it all right let's 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 go to that let's talk to to elena about that and we'll also uh, talk to our guest about that as well what do you what do you to say what needs to be done I'm, I'm assuming this will not be a light lift people are going to be looked at that they're being mean to people you know yeah because I mean this is basically immigration legislation couched as uh, crime victim legislation so nobody wants to come out against domestic violence victims um, and that's the problem is Republicans and Democrats don't want to make uh, on the surface they don't want to look like they're throwing foreign women under the bus to abusive American husbands or, or wives. Um, the main thing is to require convictions um, for both U visas and the Violence Against Women Act and to tighten up the loopholes for marriage-based, you know. Uh, and for false allegations, the same thing as what SAVE and SAVEServices.org is requesting is actually investigate. <laughs> I know that's like a crazy word, but investigate. Figure out whether the allegations are legitimate or not. Yeah, isn't that the right of a U.S. citizen is to get due process? No, there's no it's, due process. It sounds like there's no due process There's here. not because part of what we're fighting against is by law. The U.S. citizen and uh, the uh, citizen's family is not allowed to submit evidence on the immigrant's immigration file if a domestic violence victim or claim is made. Um, and who usually finds out about the criminal activities and the fraud? It's the U.S. citizen. So even if they submit third-party evidence from courts, it's barred. 
Yeah, this sounds like the the the, the Frankensteinian hashtag Me Too uh, thing, where you just say something happened and the person that you've said something bad about is suddenly guilty of everything. Right. And I'm I'm a domestic violence victim, and I've never asked anybody to take my word for it. If anything, I worked with a retired FBI agent to collect evidence and to prove that, look, you need to put me in protection because I'm at risk, and this guy tried well, to repeatedly kill me. this guy came after me. you with a gun. Right, but, I mean, I never expected anybody to take my word for it. Uh-huh. I expected them to investigate. Well, you didn't walk up to them and say, well, hashtag me too. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Matt has... Great ideas being an attorney as well about how to fix this. Yeah. What do you do, Matt? Well, I think the biggest and, and most significant thing is we have to take a look at how marriage works. And, and I mean both, you know, what are the realities of marriage and what are the legal implications? And so right now, if you're married for less than two years, you get conditional residence. Once you've hit the two-year mark... Uh, with conditional residence and your marriage is older than two years, then you can apply to have that converted to a standard green card. That time frame may be too short, uh, given how quickly and easily people can get married. Uh, The other problem is that we have what's called a bona fide marriage exception built into the law. So if you wind up getting divorced during the two-year period or getting divorced shortly after you get a standard green card... um, if you've got a conditional residence card, you can file a bona fide exception application and still get it converted to a standard green card. If you've already got a standard green card and you've been married for longer than two years, the fact is that in most cases, even when there appears to have been evidence of some kind of fraud, USCIS is not going to go back and rescind that. So I think it's, it's a combination of eliminating the loopholes, improving the legislation so that it does not allow a gap to develop between state marriage laws and federal immigration laws, and then using the investigative resources of the Department of Homeland Security to do the job that the taxpayers pay it to do. Why don't they just take marriage off the table for getting, you know, citizenship status? Well, that would be a fantastic idea. I mean, FAIR is a big proponent of replacing the family-based immigration system, which which essentially is just an institutionalized form of nepotism, and putting in a merit-based immigration system where we look I'm at all the, about it. the job skills that people have, their ability to speak English, and their ability to be successful in the United States. And what that does is... It allows us to attract immigrants here who are going to fill gaps that are needed in the U.S. economy, but it also allows immigrants to be more successful. Because well, it lets them stand on their own two feet instead of depending upon whoever, quote, their sponsor is, if it happens to be their husband or wife, correct? Correct. That just seems logical to me, but I always know when I'm dealing with political issues, logic plays no point in most of the stuff that they do. Well, it eliminates, if you have a merit-based system, it eliminates this notion that somehow uh, domestic violence victims, and and it's interesting that we're always talking about women with this, but there are men who wind up as victims of of domestic violence, and you rarely hear about them in the immigration context. Correct. But this notion that foreign women are regularly exploited and held hostage in order to gain an immigration benefit is just not backed up by the realities of the way the system works and the various options that are available to them. So if that's something that's not happening, 
you don't really need to prepare for it. So you either take that off the table in the current legislation or you put in a merit-based system where that just doesn't even become a consideration because you're either immigrating here as the spouse of somebody who qualified on merit or you're immigrating on your own merit. Yeah, that makes more sense to me anyway. Let's go back. i got about a minute and ten seconds left. Elena, you want to talk about this is not a victimless crime. This is not a victimless crime. And I think I mentioned before, people have lost custody of their children based on simple false allegations for green cards. Um, they've had they've cleaned out their finances to to uh, have legal pay legal fees. Um, I've worked with people, multiple people that have lost security clearances. Um, so it's not a victimless crime. You said one guy lost seven hundred grand. Is that right? Seven hundred thousand um, dollars, and he was thrown in jail. And the courts ultimately um, came out and said uh, that it was uh, false allegations for the sake of a green card. And his ex-wife fled the state so she wouldn't be indicted. Amazing. But she still became a U.S. citizen despite it was being false. Elena Maria Lopez, if people want to find out more, give them a uh, website. Go to immigrationfraud.com, and for the SAVE information, go to saveservices.org. I appreciate your time. Dude, it was supposed to be just you, but you just came in and piggybacked on what we were talking about. That's just great stuff, and I appreciate you stopping by again, Matt. Thank you, and it's always a pleasure to be on with Elena. All right. i got to get a break. It's time for the new Shake uh, your head and get ready. We come back. We got another hour left here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's get into the final hour here on Drive Time on the Dave Ellswick Show, one hundred one point one FM, The Answer. And I'm in Washington D.C. today. And because of modern technology, it sounds like I'm sitting right in the studio there in Little Rock, but I'm sitting in uh, at a table with uh, the equipment uh, here at the Phoenix Hotel, which is two blocks from the Capitol and about a Oh, half a block from Union Station, which is one of my favorite places to run around in and see what kind of trouble I can get into. But the bottom line is where where it's happening today. Uh, Hold your feet to the fire. This is a uh, conference that is held every year, has been now for a dozen years. I've been here since the first one. And uh, it's all about illegal immigration. And that last hour that we had on here with Elena Maria Lopez and and Matt O'Brien, I'm sure blew your mind because very few of us think that marriage can be um, an illegal entry point here into the United States. And you just found out that ain't the case and that spies are coming in and using it as a way, way to infiltrate into our military bases and things of, uh, of that nature. But we're going to switch it up a little bit. R.J. Hammond is going to join us now. And uh, R.J. is going to talk. I'm going to let him pull the cover back a little bit. And so you're going to get to see the wizard today. So, R.J., explain to my listeners what it is exactly that you do. Yeah, I'm a head of FAIR's Government Relations Department. I'm a former Capitol Hill staffer. And uh, we have a three-person team up here. And basically, we lobby Congress to enact, you know, the, the priorities of, of FAIR. Again, uh, border security, interior enforcement, uh, the rule of law as it pertains to immigration policy, making a lot of fundamental changes to our legal immigration system. You know, a lot of our legislative priorities that, that we lobby for in Congress, uh, we assist congressional offices in the drafting of legislation. Uh, we work with the administration to help draft policy initiatives, regulations, and other things to implement the president's immigration agenda. So it's an exciting time right now. A lot of, not enough progress has been made. Uh, we expected 
uh, a little bit more congressional action this year in the immigration sphere. But that's the whole thing what we need to do with Congress right now is hold their feet to the fire and, and get them to the table to enact the things that President Trump ran on. There was a clear mandate from the American people in 2016, and Congress has uh, fallen woefully short in that area. Well, here's what's interesting. I had my uh, uh, congressman from District 2 in, in uh, Arkansas, in French Hill, who is a, I would consider, a, a, a very good uh, person to have on the team at FAIR. Absolutely. Uh, he's paying attention, and so is uh, Senator Bozeman. But he said that he thought something might get done during the lame duck session, and the lame duck session being after the election, mm-hmm. when a guy knows wh- or a gal knows whether they've won or they've lost, they got two more years or they don't have what's left of uh, this year to uh, to get things done that they actually may be able to get some immigration policy passed. Your well, thoughts? Well, I may. Uh, it depends on on what you view as good immigration policy and good okay. immigration reform. You know, in my eyes, being up here in Washington many years, n- nothing that happens in a lame duck t- session or in December or attached to a spending bill in December is ever good for conservatives, period. It never is. Right now, President Trump is kind of making a gamble, it looks like. Congressional leadership, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, Paul Ryan in the House, are both urging the president to, to hold on getting his wall funding, his signature campaign promise. Right. He's only asking for $5 billion. cost 25 a simple down payment. He needs to get that money by September 30th, right now when the fiscal year ends. But congressional leadership is urging him to wait till December. If if there is a negative electoral result for Republicans, especially in the House in November, mm-hmm. do you think Democrats are going to come to the table in December when no, they're about to not. assume power? When they're about to assume power and give the president his key campaign promise? I don't think so. I think it's now or never. This month, September. Now, it, Congress is making a lot of progress on the other appropriations bills. So it wouldn't essentially be a full government shutdown if he was to say, hey, I want my wall funding. You know, if, if there is a small government shutdown, it would only be DHS. But he's making the decision. I think, I think congressional leadership is showing a little contempt for voters here. They're saying, they're telling the president this, that if you try to deliver on the key campaign promise, the border wall, then we will lose in the election. So they're saying if you try to do what you promised – it's going to cost us. And I, and I think the president needs to double down here, you know, put his feet down and, and, and get that border wall funding. Okay, so you told me before we started you uh, are out there working with politicians who are trying to get elected or trying to get reelected. How are you seeing the House? I, I still see us holding on to it. But the Hill, I've been reading their paper today. Right. I know that they're liberal, okay, and liberal leaning. But they're going just absolutely gaga now about blue wave, blue wave. But we heard this about Hillary, too, two years ago. What's your thoughts? Right. Well, I don't think anybody can, can deny that Democrats are fired up and engaged right now. I, I don't yeah, think but look who they're electing. Absolutely. No, they're going very far left. And, and I think, again, so one thing to focus on, back to the border wall really quick, is in the face of a blue wave, the worst thing Republicans can do is depress their base turnout. Yeah. And again, they haven't delivered, especially on immigration, anything that Republicans voted for in 2016. So right now, they have an opportunity in, in September to galvanize the base, get them ready to go, get them excited about something. If you're a Trump voter, if you're a conservative, what are you to be excited about right now? There's nothing going on. And, and I think, I think 
the Senate is safe. I think everybody can see I that. I think we're going to gain in We the are going to gain, absolutely. Maybe two, three seats. I, I, I think that's highly likely. Again, but as you mentioned, polling has been off many times. I was wrong about the 2016 election, certainly. And, and there's a lot of things going on. But I, I think Democrats have reason to be confident. And also Republicans aren't in as bad of a situation as people are, are acting. All right. So what would you tell the Democrats? You know, we're going to impeach Trump if we get take over the House and so I don't think that's the kind of message you want to send to the electorate. No, absolutely not. Re- Republicans are, are best, to, in my view, to highlight you know two separate areas. There's going to be no governing going on if the Democrats take back the House. It's going to be frivolous investigation. Investigate. It's not going to be oversight. It's going to mm-hmm. be political political grandstanding up there, hauling in. Kind of like yesterday. Kind of like yes. The, Ka- <laughs> the Kavanaugh hearings for all your listeners out there, if you've been paying attention on this spectacle up here in Washington, that is going to be every day in the Democratic House when they have oversight, they have subpoena power and things like that. It's going to be a total mess. And then on the immigration side of things, too, if Democrats take control, abolish ICE. I mean, that's that's the kind of policies you're going to see come out of the House. And I think Republicans, the more that they can highlight that and hammer that home, there was a vote in July. It was a simple, non-binding resolution. I remember this. No force in law. All it said is, hey, It's the sense of Congress that we support the brave men and women of ICE out there enforcing our immigration laws. Only 18 Democrats in the House could muster a show of support for ICE. We're not talking about ramping up interior enforcement. We're not talking about new funding or anything like that. A simple show of support for law enforcement. They couldn't even do that. I think that just gives you a preview of what things would be like under Democrats. And Republicans need to highlight that. Republicans never think immigration is a winning issue. They why always why avoided, is that? I, they always avoided it. Remember, I think you remember this as well, too, going back decades. I mean, actually going back towards to when uh, President Bush uh, left office, mm-hmm. it was always said that Republicans will never win the White House again unless we enact a mass amnesty. Legalize yeah. 11 million people of course. here. Enter Donald Trump. Again, he, was, he proved that immigration is a winning issue, immigration enforcement, making some real fundamental changes to our immigration system. Yet Republicans, they're scared of it. They think it's a bad issue. If they lose the House in, December, in November, I guarantee you they're going to say one of the reasons why they lost it was because they didn't enact a DACA amnesty. Ridiculous. All right. Let's take a break in. It's, uh, it's 16. Well, I'll tell you what. Russ, I'm going to stay uh, here. He can only stay with us about 24 after, so I'm going to keep it here. We'll take a break at 24 and then just take it down to the news. So our, our guest, uh, R.J. Uh, Human is uh, with us, and he works behind the scenes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you've you been a, con- a congressional worker as well? Yeah, you I work worked. over in the House? I did. I worked for a congressman from California named Elton Gallagher, who's a Republican from California on House Judiciary, and he actually chaired... Uh, the uh, immigration subcommittee on that committee. So got some good immigration experience, also from California as well. So kind of know how it is out there in ground zero. Yeah. Um, where they're, I guess, previewing. Sanctuary state land. Absolutely, absolutely. The giving giving benefits to illegal aliens at every turn, enticing people to come. Giving, it's a beacon to Central America. We had a uh, Border Patrol uh, person on. Christopher Harris was here. And he said that they pulled over a drunk driver. All right. And this guy was... Very evident, he was inebriated. Mm-hmm. Called the sheriff, said, "Come and get him." He said, "I can't. Law, I can't come and get him." They gave the guy back his keys. They couldn't keep keep him from. And this drunk driver heads right down the road, totally 
two sheets there were three sheets to the wind you know this is happening in communities all over the country that's why you know in coordination you know with this event we had a fly-in of about 45 sheriffs from all over the country people whose job it is to keep our communities safe people that know the effects of a porous border the effects of having a crim- criminal aliens run rampant in your community yeah. putting people in danger drugs pouring into their communities they came here to washington they actually just came back from the white house after meeting with the president talking to them about things and dave i was talking to a couple of these sheriffs out there some of them are afraid to enforce the law the aclu will come in and sue them strictly for cooperating with the federal government and carrying out detainer requests. Is, is that just in California? No, is this, this all is over, the, United all over States? the country. This is all over the country. Congress needs to act. This is one thing we've been supporting. While well, a lot of these bills out there that will defund sanctuary cities also do other things. They protect local law enforcement who want to carry out our laws. Again, you have you have left-leaning and open borders organizations that will come and sue them strictly for complying with ICE and cooperating with them. Um, it, it's really the wild, wild west out there in a lot of areas. Now, mm-hmm. the administration's made a lot, made a, have a lot of accomplishments. They, they've made a lot of positive steps, but there's still so much to be done. That the only people that can do it are the folks on Capitol Hill. At times, is that why Sessions has gone out and given these speeches about we're bringing the rule of law back to, to absolutely the immigration? No, absolutely. And there's no there's no better person out there uh, to enact President Trump's immigration agenda. Than Jeff Sessions, he understands this issue. He's a champion for the rule of law, and, and he's out there at every step. And we we're very familiar with the work behind the scenes being done by his Justice Department to ensure that we our immigration system has integrity and it operates in accordance to the laws that are on the books. All right. So, as far as uh, the the federal government is concerned, I mean, you go back to the times of Andrew uh, Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, some of the southern states found out real quick with hickory that uh, bottom line is that federal law supersedes state law mm-hmm. that's not being enforced that way now there's states doing stuff that is flies in the face mm-hmm. of federal law and nothing is is happening to stop it is it it just tied up in courts right now and it's going to change, or what do you see happen? No, I think a lot of it, it necessitates the need for congressional action. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of these policies out there too. You know, there's. I understand. I'm sympathetic to states' rights arguments, federalism, and, no, and a lot of many the areas. Tenth Amendment, all yeah, right. yeah, of course. But uh, this, this isn't. You're not. It's not the federal government requiring cooperation. Okay, this is simply acting. Don't undermine the federal government's yeah. ability to. It, immigration is not a states' issue. This is that is a core function of a sovereign nation secure your borders and have an orderly system of immigration that's not for states to decide willy-nilly mm-hmm. that is a federal responsibility of any modern first world country tell that to governor moonbeam out there in california i, I wish i could or at least we we got good news today ron emmanuel's not running for uh, to be uh, mayor of of Chicago, Chicago, but he says he might want to be president. God help us. Yeah. So, what do are we missing? I mean, there's always a political side to this because the, the 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 main thing that most congressmen or women or senators want to do is get reelected. Yeah. So you you got to figure out how to do stuff in a way that 
they have the least exposure. Yeah, so here's the, here's the I, I understand the political considerations right now with potentially shutting down the government over border wall funding. Mm-hmm. I think if you go back years, nobody, the, the, the person who is deemed, or the party that is deemed responsible for a government shutdown always gets the blame. They, it always doesn't work out for them. Chuck Schumer tried it back in February with DACA, got a ton of blowback. I think Republicans are right to be afraid of a government shutdown. They, they, they rarely work out. Uh, positively, but yeah, I hate to look back. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but again, it would have been great if the president would have really forced to get that border wall funding back in March. You're not so close to the election; it's easier to do. Uh, but right now, it's just it's a tough choice that the president has to make. Does does he, you know, sink his feet in, or or does he or does he go along with congressional leadership and wait till December? I think it's a risky, risky choice. Is do you think that that's the reason why the Mueller investigation and now this story from the New York Times and the Woodward book are all happening right now, less than a hundred days from the election? Yeah, I, I, I can't I can't weigh in on that. I I have no clue. I mean, there's always questionable things of how of when things have dropped um, to kind of distract from certain things. But you know, the president again. I think that's why the president it w- it would benefit him more. To really be championing an agenda out there and accomplishing things rather than simply playing defense with, with, with his words. I mean, again, actions speak for themselves. Um, you know, obviously, we passed tax reform, a huge sweeping tax reform. Yeah. That's all everybody talked about. And I think he has a chance right now on immigration to seize back control of the narrative and enact what he ran on. And it's a unique time here in December. Uh, we're we're holding their feet to the fire on border wall funding, E-Verify, and other things, and we hope Congress listens. RJ, it's a pleasure to have you here. First time I've met you, and uh, we'll have you on in the future. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, RJ Hallman. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, a break, and then we'll be back, and I'll you get us in the news, and then Ira Melman will join us for the last half hour. All right, back with you. We are in Washington, D.C. We're at Hold Their Feet to the Fire, as well as uh, we're at the... Uh, Phoenix Hotel, which is two blocks away from the uh, Capitol, and we're about a block, maybe a half a block away from Union Station. It's perfect location, Ira. You guys have been doing this here now for a, for a dozen years, and it's always a great setup, great guests. And uh, no exception this year. Well, thanks. And the most important thing is the air conditioning is working really well. It wasn't last year, was it? Yeah. It was kind of we humid need it. here. We needed here. Yeah, yeah. We were we were all sweating. Yeah, this time because you got more uh, talk show hosts in Radio Row this year than you've ever had. More hot air than ever. <laughs> <laughs> so what? How? What do you see for that happening? Why more this year than ever before? Although it has been growing every year. Well, look, I mean, this is not just a big issue here in the United States. It's a big issue all over the world. We have come to a point now where you have so many states that are failing or on the brink of failing, so many people who want to get out of the countries that they're living in, and, you know, very limited capacity for countries like the United States or Western Europe or some of the other developed nations to be able to absorb the people who want to leave those countries for very understandable reasons. So we have to start reckoning as a society, uh, not just the, the United States, but all Western nations, with the facts that are on the ground. The, the facts are you have a lot of societies that simply cannot provide a decent life for the people who live in those countries. We can't absorb them all, so what do we do? A- and it is a real dilemma, but you know we are under no obligation to destroy ourselves I- in the process. Well, I got to tell 
uh, my listeners that in the last hour, 4 o'clock hour, I dealt with a subject that I have never dealt with since I've been here, and I've been every year, and uh, started talking about marriage and this uh, I had heard about this piece of legislation, but I thought it was about domestic violence, and really it's uh, it's a domestic violence uh, law that impacts heavily upon immigration law. It's called the Violence Against Women Act, uh, VAWA is what uh, Matt kept saying, and it's like it, that's a that's a non-story. It's a story that's not being told to the American people. Yeah, look, if you look at each individual case, people who are fleeing domestic violence, people who are fleeing just social, the breakdown of social order in their home countries, th- those are compelling stories. The, the question is, how do, how do we best respond to that? Do we best respond to that by trying to, in a world of 7.5 billion people, trying to move everybody who is in a situation like that to a country like the United States? Or do we deal with it in a different way? We, we can't ignore problems around the world. The world is too small today. Uh, you know, if we ignore it, it will affect us one way or the other. But how do we do it most productively without damaging our own country? That is the, really the big challenge, not just for the United States. Europe is going through it, Australia, Canada. Uh, we are all dealing with this. We better start reckoning with it. Yeah, because now you can get to any any other place in the world. I mean, it's not all that difficult. And, of course, if you live somewhere where, you know, life is, you know, crap, you'd like to go someplace where it's not crap. But not everybody can move to just the United States. We don't have the capacity for everybody. Right. I mean, this is as much a foreign policy issue as it is a, an immigration issue. Uh, you know, international development. I mean, we can't just throw money at the problem. We don't have the money, number one. Number two, if you just throw money at the problem, most likely it's going to wind up in somebody's Swiss bank account. So, you know, we have kind of avoided for a long time trying to come up with some real productive solutions to the problems that are ahead of us. I mean, this failing states is going to be one of the big problems that we're going to be facing in the coming years. And there's more and more of them happening all the time. All right. Ira Melman is our guest. Ira's been with FAIR for many years. Uh, he has been on my show many, many times. He's a spokesman uh, for FAIR, and it's always a pleasure to have him here on the show. You know, just talking to, to uh, RJ, with this coming up on the elections, Republicans are running like scared rabbits right now from immigration reform. Why is that when Trump, we know, won the White House on immigration reform? Right. You know, I think they're trying to put there's some distance between themselves and Trump, the individual. And, you know, I'm not going to make anybody's be anybody political advisor, but the issues themselves that he won on are legitimate issues. He is president for a reason, because he was addressing issues that other politicians were ignoring. So, you know, you want to separate yourself from Trump, the, the man. I can understand that. But don't separate yourself from the issues that he addressed and won on, because, you know, he, he is president in spite of the, the fact that, you know, he has these personal character flaws, but he's president because he addressed issues that the mainstream politicians have been ignoring for a long time. And if you go back to ignoring them, it simply is not going to work in your favor. Well, it goes back. It, he got elected because he would say what people wanted to hear. He was the guy that would try to do things that people have been wanting to be done for years. And people said, if it takes somebody that doesn't 
have the, the moral uh, character that I have, so be it. But we need to get this done. Right. And he has been doing things through yes. executive power uh, to the extent that he can do it. He has been doing it. What we need is for Congress to recognize that the issues are legitimate. Whatever you might think of the president personally, the issues are legitimate. You know, some people like him, some people don't like him. But the fact of the matter is that immigration is, if you look at all the polls, if not the top issue, then one of the top two or three issues on the minds of the American people. And, you know, what has been passed off as immigration reform for a long time has just been a a, a sellout of the interests of the American people. And he came along and said, no, look, look, the immigration policy of the United States is there to protect and serve the interests of the American people. It is the American people who are the primary constituency for U.S. immigration policy. And we have to create policies and implement policies in, in that frame of mind. So how... Under God's blue sky did we get, uh, Ira, to this point that we have a whole state in the United States that's a sanctuary state. We've you got know? more than one. Well, we've got Governor Moonbeam out there, and, and he's definitely been pushing it. And we hear about all these stories about how immigration laws aren't enforced. We know about all the different cities all across the United States. Look, in Little Rock. They they don't call it a sanctuary city, but they're moving that way. When they start talking about a a ID card for the city, that tells me they're ready to move to be in a sanctuary city. Mm-hmm. And uh, they you know, and I've been calling them out on it, and uh, it's as if they're on a one way suicide mission on this. They well, look, I mean, if you, you see politicians all across the country who have decided that they simply don't want to see U.S. immigration laws enforced. They would rather protect criminal aliens than cooperate with ICE. Uh, Look, I mean, you had the governor of New York in a recent debate with his prime... Cuomo. Call ICE a bunch of thugs. You know, that is almost an invitation for people to go after ICE agents. You know, they are enforcing duly enacted laws of the United States. They are doing them according to the law. Uh, and yet you have the, these politicians who are willing to try to politicize an issue that really shouldn't be politicized. The American people understand why we have immigration laws. They understand why we need to do it. Uh, they understand that any law enforcement agency has to act within the law, and ICE has been doing just that. And yet they are demonizing these people to a point where, you know, they could potentially spark violence. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've already seen some violence against against ICE. I mean, go to Portland, Oregon, where they... They took over their offices and things of that nature. And, and you know, the thing that people don't understand, immigration is only one part of their job. You know, this whole thing of human trafficking and things, that's their job as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's okay uh, to let that go on if it uh, lets illegals in. Well, look, you know, if you, you mentioned in California before. They have a law that was passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, that lists only a very narrow range of crimes for which they will cooperate with ICE. So basically, if you come to the United States illegally, go to California, and commit a crime that isn't on their list, they are going to do whatever they can do to protect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they wouldn't even do that for American citizens, and yet, for illegal aliens, they are willing to do it because they seem to believe that, you know, their ideological views uh, seem to lead them to the point where they're saying we should not have borders. The United States has no right to uh, determine who comes into the United States. Basically, they they are challenging the sovereignty of this country. All right. Well, Ira, when we come back, we've got to get a break in here. When we come back, 
I want you to help convince me that we can still get something done before the elections, or are we going to just be sitting here watching them tread water the whole time? we got a lot more coming your way. Stick around with us. We're live in Washington, D.C. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Got about 11 minutes left here on the Dave Ellswick Show for a uh, a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We were closer to Friday than we were on Monday. And Monday was a holiday, so three days left to go here uh, on my show. Tomorrow we'll still be here in D.C. We've got a lot of great guests tomorrow that are going to join us. Uh, Sheriff Hodgson's going to be with us again from Massachusetts. He was a favorite last year. I'm sure he'll be a favorite this year. And uh, Robert Spencer uh, will be uh, with us, uh, Islamic extremism and how that ties into immigration reform. And then our our final half hour of the show, don't miss it. You've heard him by phone on my show. Tomorrow they'll be on air with me, and Diamond and Silk will be with us, and that'll be a great way to get you set up for Friday's uh, Fun Friday with Shane Stacks. He'll be filling in for me. But right now, Ira Melman is with us, and I, I left you, Ira, with, with a, a thing to, to try to help me with. Convince me that something will happen within Congress in this last, what, 80-something days before the election to, to do something with illegal immigration because typically the closer you get to the vote, the less they want to do about anything. You know, they've had a year and a half to do something. Yes, the Republican have. leadership hasn't moved the legislation that they need to move. They could, oh. Early on, they could have passed something in the House. The House, you need a simple majority to get a bill passed. The Senate, quite frankly, they don't have the 60 votes. But what they had was an opportunity to force the Democratic leadership, to force Chuck Schumer to get up there and explain to the American people why he was blocking a bill to make E-Verify mandatory to protect the jobs of American workers or why he didn't want to, se- to secure the border even after he voted for this, the fence back in 2006. These were opportunities that were lost, opportunities to get him to explain why he's taking the positions that he's taking. And, you know, I don't understand why they haven't done it. So to expect that they're going to do it between now and Election Day, you know, anything can happen, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet the mortgage money on it. Maybe, maybe in a lame duck session, uh, depending on how the election goes, we might see something. That probably is the only opportunity, uh, again, depending on the outcome of the election, to get something done in this session of Congress. What do you, what do you think? I mean, the House has done some decent things about immigration. Uh, in the last year and a half, but yet it's in the House that we're fighting to to keep it. You would think that we'd be able to keep it just because we should stay the way we are, not give the you know the the enemy side you know the the House. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't define the the Democrats as the enemy. The, the, you know, I we, do. We, we, okay. Uh, you don't have to. We, you know, <laughs> we, we need to to understand that you know we we can disagree with people without thinking that they're evil. But clearly, within the Democratic Party, there is political pressure to just abandon any pretense of immigration enforcement, this whole abolish ICE movement uh, that is taking root. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure most of the Democratic politicians would support that if they, you know, if they weren't feeling a lot of pressure. But, you know, that also, you know, requires some political guts to stand up to, to your base and say, no, th- this is simply untenable. But let me just stop you. Where has this changed in America that people look at ICE 
as as some evil as a bunch of thugs, as, as, a, as, as Governor as, Cuomo called them. Yeah, or jackbooted thugs at that. Uh, how do? How did that change? How did that narrative change? Well, you know, a lot of this has changed since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez upset Joe Crowley in New York. You know, she... It was a district that, you know, is not really representative of the United States. Not it's, repres- it's blue, yeah. blue, blue. Not representative of even most blue districts. And yet, you know, you have the Democrats who are now running scared. They think that this is the wave of the future and that they better get on it or get run over. So, you know, it comes down to politics. You said you know, politicians think about the next election. And, you know, a lot of these Democrats say, you know, I don't want to get crowded. Uh, you know, we saw it last night in Massachusetts where Capuano, a longtime Democratic representative, you can't get more left than Capuano, but apparently you can. It's just, and I don't understand that. Can people not say Venezuela? I mean, that's what a socialist wants to lead us to. Yep. It's, but, but look, I mean, what we are seeing now, uh, partially as a result of mass immigration, are large numbers of people who are more and more dependent on government services. Whether the system can sustain itself in the long term isn't really of concern when you are waiting for that next government assistance check. Uh, you know, what you're thinking about is tomorrow. Am I going to be able to put food on the table or pay the rent? So, you know, people don't think long term. No, hardly anybody does. It, it's a luxury that a lot of people simply don't have. I don't know why, but I've never thought of it that way. The, the college kid that owns a gazillion dollars in college loans, of course he'd like to have them forgiven. Then he has the money uh, to do it until the government starts taking all that money away because in taxes to pay for what he right. had to pay anyway. Yeah, I mean, we simply need to stop promising us ourselves more than we can deliver. We, we have to recognize that there are limitations. And look, I mean, I- immigration is not the reason why we have these problems. We've created these problems. But immigration, mass immigration, exacerbates them. Uh, if you're going to have a social welfare system that promises people all sorts of things, then you almost by necessity have to limit the number of people who have access to it. And, and instead, what we are doing is turning around through our immigration process and bringing in more people and just hastening the day when the whole system collapses under its own weight. Yeah, it will implode. You can't, can't feed everybody on everybody else's dime. I mean, it's just like Margaret Thatcher said about socialism. The problem with socialism is that sooner or later you run out of other people's money. Right. And it's true. Or as Winston Churchill said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's and right. Maybe people do, you know, a lot of these people have very good intentions, but you, you, you need a lot more than just good intentions. Yeah, you got to understand human endeavor a little bit as well and how people are. Because that's exactly what we ran into as I was talking to Matt that people don't consider, that people will do whatever they have to do sometimes to get what they want. Yeah, and again, I mean, this brings us back to the bigger picture of, you know, how do we deal with a world where so many societies around us are collapsing? You know, we've seen the effects here in our hemisphere, these countries in Central America. These are failing states, but they're just the tip of the iceberg. There are many, many more behind them. We, we simply cannot deal with the problem by bringing everybody to the United States as much as we might feel for the people who are living in those societies. Yeah, it's just like we can't just continue to send, you know, millions upon billions of dollars to other countries when 
it's not even getting to the people. It's stopping at the higher-ups, and they're all feathering their nests. Yeah. I mean, if it's going to end up in somebody's Swiss bank account, what's the, what's the point? We're, we're not benefiting anybody. We have to do think you know we have to be compassionate but we have to be compassionate with intelligence as well absolutely you got to you got to think with more than just your heart you got to use your brain uh with it as well so as you look at the landscape right now um if the republicans hold the house and that's there's an if to that i still think they will but if they don't it'll be very if they do it's going to be very very thin if they don't, then the Democrats will uh, be off on their wild goose chases to try to impeach the president, and nothing's going to get done. So let's assume that Republicans hold. What do you expect from them at that point? Well, we would expect that they are going to start looking forward to the next election, which is what politicians do as soon as one election is over. That's correct. But maybe they will learn the lesson. Maybe they will decide, look, you know, what we have nothing to lose. Let's pass the bills, you know, if they still have control of the House, let's pass the bills uh, that we can pass with a simple majority in the House, and let the Senate do what the Senate's going to do. You you cannot force, uh, you know, again, even if the Republicans hold the majority in the Senate after the election, they're not going to have 60 votes. You have to force the opposition, the Democrats, to explain to the American people why they won't protect the, the jobs of the American people, why they won't protect our borders. Those, you know, that's their responsibility. You know, all the Republicans can do is what they can do. They, but what they, what they can't do is pass things without 60 votes. What they can do is force the opposition to make their case to the American people, and they have failed to do that right now. Put them on the defensive. Yeah, and, you know, you win the public relations battle. You, you, you go to the American people and say, look, we tried to secure the border. We tried to protect the jobs of American workers against illegal immigration. Ask those guys why they're stopping it. Gotcha. Ira, thanks so much. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's been a little right. depressing. This, yeah, <laughs> it has it, been, but it's the reality of the situation. Yeah. It's important to talk about that. Ira Melman, our guest from FAIR, always a pleasure to have him on. For FAIRUS.org is their website. Get more information there. I'll be back with you at 2 o'clock tomorrow. We'll start off with Alice Stewart. She's going to join us, and we're going to talk to her about what's going on with the uh, Judge Kavanaugh and the uh, hearings that are going on. Don't want to forget about that. That's a really big story going on in D.C. right now. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking with Robert Spencer. We'll be talking with Diamond and Silk. All that's coming your way tomorrow as we broadcast our final day from Washington, D.C. here at Hold Their Feet to the Fire. For the folks at FAIR, my thanks to them. We'll be back tomorrow and take uh, you know advantage of their hospitality for one more day. I'm Dave Ellswick. Have a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow at 2. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.